No one will be admitted after the guests check in. Where do you keep the money? What are you talking about? These lamps are beautiful. No, they rule. And I I didn't know where she kept the money, so I couldn't pick it out. When I moved in here, she said she got them all rewired and put new felt on the bottoms. Yeah, her grandma's hot. Got any news of her? She's old. She's really old. Still still titty. That's ageist. Are you saying that old people can't be hot? I'm saying that my 90s... Look at Leonard Nimoy. He's dead and he's still hot. pretty good for somebody who can't walk. You don't need to walk when you're fucking... (laughs) Boom! Really Starting off that. right! I am right, horny! Let's do it. Yeah. That's going in the intro. Here we go. Yeah, it is. Yeah, we're good. We're good to go. I'm gonna fuck your grandma like a three legged dog. Okay. That seems like you should fuck neither of those things, but whatever. Yeah, makes one you man's happy. dog is another man's dinner. Forbidden uh, fruit always tastes the sweetest. Yeah. I don't know. That's why well, I, I eat toxic fruits. Welcome to Motel Hell! Frow, frow, frow! Um, working on a tagline still, something more like, like, uh, open the door to fun town, or Kill drop me. your cane. Drop, drop your cane? I'm working on workshopping. Yeah. Take maybe, off your hat and do a little dance. Maybe if you spent less time on public domainia, you'd have time to create. It me. You guys, I failed out of school this semester because I can't get it right. It's all I've been focusing on. Uh, we got a fun topic tonight. I personally know nothing about it, so I'll be fun and reactionary. Oh, um, ah! Ooh. Didn't know that. Mm-hmm. I'm diarrhea. Slurp, slurp, slurp. That'll Whoa. Be, that's drinking coffee. Is it drinking coffee? Yeah. yeah. Sure. I, you know we were joking about the oh. couple thing, right? Sorry, guys. That's well, I mean, the if we're going to actually couple. me not to have a baby. So. Daily affirmations. Don't have a baby. Don't have a baby. Let Ben watch. Let Ben watch. I wish I could get Let birth Ben to a join. Kid. Let Ben join. No. I'll only touch Frank. I'll only touch no. Frank. No. So we're talking about. It meant nothing. John Carpenter tonight, correct? Correct. But first off, let's review the movie that we watched because it ties into John Carpenter. It sure does, Flex Lexa. You didn't introduce. Oh my any God! Of I'm us. so sorry. Okay. 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 I am high as a kite, apparently. <laughs> I am Flex Alexa, resident <clears throat> strong woman. Gotta come up with a new one. An all American gladiator. That's what you said last episode. Maybe it's what. I, maybe it's my tagline. To my left, Ben the Beardo. Still beardly, still Ben. To my right, the most handsome man that's ever been seen. Wow, suddenly I feel excluded. You're fine, you're fine. Am I? Dick fatty. Dick fucking fatty, Fresh bitch. new. Did you hear that? She used to call cut. me fine. Yeah. Fine like a wine. Ready to, to put it put in the dime. time. Yeah. No, none of that was This is good. easily our funniest episode yet. <laughs> two, two, four, nine. Not yeah. going to let that go until people actually try to start texting it. Well, we won't know since... <laughs> It's will not, be dead. It's post, totally post real. Post a screen cap of you texting 2249 <laughs> to 2251 
and uh, we will send you a hundred dollars for the first people that uh, that do that. This might be how we uh, get, get some sued? actual like listeners. Oh. Is it? Yeah. Thank how, you to how, all seven yeah, of you out how there. How are all eight of you doing? Well, I hope your grandmother's feeling better. I hope she's feeling foxy. I feel like we're going in a weird pattern for this episode. John Carpenter's old, and I'm horny. How, so how old is John uh, Carpenter now? He is in his 70s. Wow. He is old as fuck. He was so, born in the 50s. So tonight, we watched... 40s. Big Trouble in Little China, correct? We correct. did. I like that I remember the name. What would you guys say? Give me your thoughts, your opinions, your feelings. Well, this is the 1986 uh, masterpiece by Carpenter. This is his golden era of filmmaking. So pretty much the man did no wrong from like 78 until like 90. Prepare to be proved wrong. Uh, <laughs> well, he did He did a few things wrong, but I've been there. Uh, yeah, so I've never seen this movie sober until tonight. The When I bought it originally, which I bought, I bought it used... The DVD was screwed up, as I started to recall as we watched it tonight, and um, I was very drunk. It was like one of those, by myself, pouring shots, just like, this, this movie's good, like, just, you know, one of those. It was good. And it was it was interesting to see it again. I, I remembered a surprising amount of it. I was pretty, pretty sober alcoholic. I mean, the movie's got everything a young boy could want. It's got the all-American, super buff, super masculine hero. Mm -hmm. It's got hot Chinese ladies. Mm -hmm. It's got hot white ladies. Mm -hmm. It's got kung magic. Fu. It's got kung fu. It's got D&D &D monsters. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and it's got a dude who looks uh, suspiciously like Raiden, or maybe the other way around. I don't think that, like, lightning kung fu dudes are exclusive to Mortal Kombat. Yeah, but he also had the hat. Yeah. Well, but this came out way before Mortal Kombat. That's true. So Mortal Kombat pretty much stole Raiden from this movie. Fair enough. But anyway, yeah, it's a good one. It's different. It's not, um, there's no real elements of horror at all in it. Like a well, lot of, okay, there's a little bit, but it's pretty campy. Yeah. Uh, in comparison to like Halloween or The Thing or Prince of Darkness or At the Mouth of Madness and any of those. Like, you know, it was way more... Way more camp, but it's... Into the Mouth of Madness. Yeah, whatever. And, uh, anyways, it was just, like, it's just a good one. And it's Kurt Russell, like, doing what he does best. Being just, Kurt Russell. Yeah, taking no shit and being, like, American and a little bit ignorant, but... Yeah. You guys charming were regardless. out of the room where they almost got hit by the car in the parking garage, and Kurt Russell gets up, turns around, and goes, Son of a bitch will pay. And it was awesome. Yeah. And this movie does something that I absolutely love where they force exposition on you Yeah, in oh. one spoken line. <laughs> You're not talking about so-and-so who runs the so-and-so and is captain of the so-and-so with the so-and-so? <laughs> who is so-and-so years old and is a complete recluse and no one knows what so-and-so looks like. <laughs> okay. Huh. Leave little to be to fair, the, the one woman was an investigative journalist, and they do tend to talk, and the other woman was a lawyer who also loves to talk. Oh. Yeah. No, I mean, yeah, but like... And they were also women but, who loved to talk. Yeah. You know but saying? I think the bigger thing is that if you're going to do a movie five. like this and you need to set it up fast so you don't ever have to lose steam, that's the way to do it. And that's I, how he does I it. I get it. And it's still really funny. Yeah. And it, it's a movie that had a lot of mythology behind it. Yeah. That, Allegedly. Well, yeah, that he had to cram into... How long is this movie? Uh, 99 minutes. Yeah. 
99, feeling fine. Yep. Oh no, I love this movie. I remember seeing it a bunch of times when I was real little on on television during the summer and then finally getting to watch an uncut, unadulterated version when I was in my teens. It was like, this is the greatest. Yeah, so I think uh, in terms of Carpenter's discography and in terms of movies generally, I'd give it a solid four out of five. It's like, doesn't compare to The Thing or Escape from New York when it comes to cult Carpenter movies that, you know, stand for so much still. I mean, it holds up surprisingly well, even though it's silly. Um, but, yeah, four out of five. Yeah. It's like a good, it's a good beer. Yeah. Beer's not my favorite drink, but, you know. Yeah, it's not like, like it. it's not like Halloween, which is a fine old whiskey. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I would also say four Buddhas. Out of five Buddhas. Oh, yeah, we didn't mention the Buddhas. The the, the insane amount of Buddhas. The Buddha budget was off the hook. I need more Buddhas! Yeah, yeah. I'd give a solid four out of five. Yeah. It's a good one. Watch it if you haven't seen it. Yeah, definitely give it a watch. And we're, we'll, I'll go into it like a little bit more. I'm not going to go into it too much considering we just reviewed it, but it will be one of the films that we cover in tonight's episode. Before we do that, why don't we um, take an old squeaky open to the disco box. Bam, bam, bam. Oh, God, he dropped the disco box. The demons are getting out. It's like Pandora's box of disco. Uh, so, yeah, I know. She didn't close it in time. I'm falling in love with you. That's a good song. Uh, so this week I'm all over the map. I've, I've been changing it up a lot, but uh, the general overall theme of my music consumption lately has been Japanese. Um, been playing near Automata, and I've been soundtracking it with a variety of Japanese bands and very different vibes. The first one was is, is an artist named Linecraft, who is a Japanese noise industrial artist. And I've been aware of him for a while, but I've just never really heard much of his stuff. And he is known to me because he's one of the guys who is all about banging on metal barrels and sheets of metal. And it's with more of a industrial mindset than like a harsh noise mindset, but it kind of straddles the line of the two. And then he's got some tracks that are more electronic oriented and darker. But he's got speech samples mixed into stuff. It's 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 not slapdash in any way, but it definitely has this very rough kind of a vibe where it's just this like pastiche of like weird stuff on top of always like distorted metal clanging and banging and it's very physical, but at the same time it's never for the most part super overwhelming. It's just really good atmospherics and things like that. I just recently did a trade with him, so I'm really excited to see and listen to the stuff that um we swapped for, but I got I downloaded his first two albums, which are pretty difficult to find, especially the first one, which is called The Man Who Is Plugged In, and it was originally released in 2008 on a CDR and then re-released for uh, the MAPS Festival, which is a noise unit or label uh, out of New York. They did a show in San Francisco in 2016 or 17, and he played, Government Alpha played, um, some other really good artists from the West Coast played. But anyways, that tape is also super sold out. So I just have the MP3s of the album, but I'd recommend that one. I'll probably make more recommendations later on Minecraft once I've got more material to review and 
I physically own it. Uh, the next recommendation for my disco box is the antithesis of antithesis antithesis of, 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 of disco, which is Anatomia, who are a Japanese death metal band, and their founding member is was a member of Necrophile, which is one of the oldest Japanese death metal bands, and then later Transgressor, which is one of the an older but like more classic, I would say. Japanese death metal band, uh, their album Ether, or what is it, uh, Scapegoat, Ether of Scapegoat, or something like that, is really, really good. But Anatomia plays a sort of autopsy-influenced death doom that is super dragging and has this really, like, warm, putrid sound to it. It's pretty simple in a certain way, but the atmosphere is, it's like you're, like, laying surrounded by corpses and maggots and, and you can like taste and smell the music. It's really gross and uh, I'm totally about it. They have a lot of keyboards on their second album, Decaying in Obscurity, which came out in 2012 on Nuclear War Now. I hugely recommend that one. Their first album is really good and it has grown on me in the years I've owned it, but their second album is just like leaps and bounds ahead in terms of atmosphere and songwriting. There's specifically a song called Dead Body Art that is... Oh, like the vocals of it are so putrid. It's just like a guy vomiting up body parts, and I really, really like it. Uh, I also recommend their original demo, which was their 2003 demo, re-released as Shreds of Putrefaction in 2009 on Nuclear War Now as well. And that one's really a nice, tasty look into what their first album would become, but with a kind of a weird sound and some like flange on some of the guitars, and it's it's psychedelic in the way that like eating somebody's brain while you're on a low dose of acid would be psychedelic um definitely uh -huh. recommend that and, uh, <laughs> fucking metaphors well you never did that have you uh, <laughs> they're just so like the longer the disco box is open the crazier <laughs> he goes yeah but i i really love anatomia they're they're a band that I think uh, I go through you know cycles in all the music I listen to, and I found in the past four years I come back to a cycle of listening to Anatomia quicker than almost any other band these days, which is like really weird because they're they have a limited album discography. They've got three albums now. The latest one came out last fall, and they've got a ton of splits, but they're not like that prolific, all things considered. But they have this such a unique sound. Like I don't even love Autopsy that much, but they're infinitely better in my mind. They're they're kind of I don't know like top five death metal bands for me at this point. Mm -hmm. They they just do this thing that's it's it's more horrific and gortastic than like the best gore in splatter films. You know, it's 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 like Mortician is the audio equivalent of watching Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and Anatomia is like every zombie movie put into a blender, and then. I'm going to throw acid on it again. Like, a little <laughs> bit of acid. Because there's just this quality that's, like, not quite right, and everything's sort of shifting in shades of, like, blue and putrid green. I don't know. I really like them. i drink that shake. Yeah, I would drink it, too. I've, I've, I've drank it. I would uh, not drink the shake. Mm. Well, we're mm. going to hold you down to force you to drink it, so... One of us. One of us. Uh, my last recommendation is a tape I got recently... I got some tapes from the American noise label News For New Forces, uh, which is a label that's been known to me for a long time. I have picked up like one or two releases over the past five years, uh, like one or two a year. 
And I like what I hear, but there's just so many good labels out there, it's always hard to follow in noise, all of them. But I recently read an interview with the guy who runs the label and uh, in Special Forces, and or I'm sorry, Special Interest magazine, and it was like, why am I not listening to more on this label? And he was talking about some releases that were current during the interview, but given the delay of the magazine going to press, have already come out. And I contacted him. He had one copy of this tape left by this artist named Scum, who's a, another solo Japanese noise project. He does. He's involved in some grindcore and power violence and death metal bands too. But uh, this tape is called "We Must Bleed." It's from 2017, and it is like such brutal, cut-up, harsh noise. It's rapid fire, constantly shifting and changing. He burns through three tracks in ten minutes. And it's just like freaking awesome. Uh, and then the B-side gets into much more industrial territory with a great sample from George C. Scott in Exorcist 3. Uh, if you know the Exorcist 3, then you'd know the sample. It's a good and uh, highly recommended. It's out of print now, but you can get it pretty cheap on Discogs. And if you're into harsh cut-up noise, it's very much in the style of endo and sickness and that kind of thing. Definitely worth the listen. And those are my recommendations. That was beautiful. Start to finish. It was like you were painting a picture of horror and violence. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. It's been a it's been an interesting couple of weeks, but I have to say that both Linecraft and Scum have provided really interesting uh, soundtracks to Near Automata because the game is beautiful, but it's also dark, even though it looks pretty. And there's this whole crumbling machine aesthetic, and listening to music by Japanese people who are like banging on machines and banging metal and all that, it really works well in this kind of dissonant chaos zen state kind of a way. So if you're into video games, it can be soundtracked by harsh noise and industrial, you just have to do it right. And yeah. We get really good at that. Good. Yeah. good at that. You guys ready to uh, jump in? Like a, sh like a shark, like a... What? Like a shark off a diving board. What? Like that doesn't even make sense. It doesn't. Sharks can't use diving boards. They oh, don't really? have legs. Yeah. And I'm a, I'm a biologist by trade. Yeah, John Howard Carpenter. <laughs> <laughs> Born January 16th, 1948. So the man is very old. 1948? Yeah, 70. 80. On the home front. Is he 80? I don't know. I don't Marilyn Monroe was dating Joe DiMaggio. 40, 60, yeah. 70. He's 70. Yeah. That was like a really funny thing I just did when you talked over me. Welcome to the podcast, okay. Lex. Right. He was born in Carthage, New York to Milton Jean Janae, Janae Carter and Howard Ralph Carpenter, mm. who is a music professor. Mm. And really where his love of films came from was, strangely enough, and you can really see it in Big Trouble in Little China, is old westerns. Mm. Loved the Duke, loved all that shit. Not my genre. Mm. Uh, I liked the remake of True Grit, mm -hmm. but uh, other than that, not a big Western guy. Yeah, I, I have to say I'm a fan of Westerns. I'm not a fan of the the classic um, John Wayne Westerns, but I'm a big fan of Spaghetti Westerns. All the Clint Eastwood stuff, all that, that stoicism. That's, that's a little different. That's not Is really it? Spaghetti Western, yeah. Th those are exactly Spaghetti Westerns. Are they? Yeah, Sergio Leone directed them. He's Italian. They ate spaghetti and meatballs on set, and they directed. Is that them. why they're called spaghetti westerns? Yes, it is. Yeah. A bunch of Italian directors okay. came and made a bunch of movies in Mexico because it was cheaper than filming in Italy or the United States, and they got people like Clint Eastwood, who were relatively unknown at the time, 
Lee Van Cliff, all those awesome actors. Bob's Burgers does a great episode on spaghetti westerns. Yeah, I've seen that. Yeah. <laughs> I've seen it. It's good. Yeah. No, I, I, I like a western. Maybe it was you interesting. Show me one, some of the, one of the uh, you, well, you've never seen Unforgiven, right? With Clint no. Eastwood, that's that's like the greatest western of all time, and it comes in the '90s of all times. Well, um, he had, uh, Carpenter did work on a movie with John Wayne. He wrote a movie for John Wayne, oh. uh, uh, which I kind of glossed over because I'm more here about his bigger name stuff. Uh -huh. But uh, he also loved 1950s horror. Uh -huh. uh, obviously, The House on the Hill. Well. The thing from another world, which is, yeah. which eventually became his thing, huh? And uh, it's funny because he, I, most of this information comes from Wikipedia, his personal bio page on his website, which is a little GeoCities for my taste. Oh yeah, yeah, it's a little rough. Wait, but um, what does that mean? Like GeoCities, like, like old the, internet? Yeah, free like Web 1.0. Uh, is, is that Web 2? Yeah, it's, I think it's web we're two. Web 3 now, right? Yeah. Anyway, so... A lot he, of frames, a lot of borders. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of uh, big picture splashes yeah. underneath text. <laughs> so, uh, he... And it, I also took it from an interview he did for Fangoria and IMDb. All of, I pulled all of the movie synopses, like the two one-lines from uh, IMDb for the, all the movies. It's, oh, yeah. it's pretty great. So... <laughs> He, he actually states that when he saw the movie, there's a, have you ever seen The Thing from Another World? No. It's a good classic sci-fi oh, movie. watch that. It's really good. But there, there's a scene where the spaceship is flying towards the screen and then explodes. Mm. And he remembers being so shit scared that he tried to run out of theater, got to the, got to the door, and was like, wait a minute. I love this. There's something here. Yeah. And he also draws his influences from another old sci-fi movie, which I love, which we should definitely watch, called Planet Terror. Mm. So, uh, at the age of eight, his father actually gave him an eight-millimeter camera, and that's... <laughs> it's like you were just a gun. <laughs> eight-millimeter so gun. Better. You sure know a lot Learn about guns. Learn how to live yeah. life. You just shave a millimeter yeah. off that bullet, and you got yourself an eight-millimeter, son. <laughs> Escape the law. The most dangerous bullet known to man. <laughs> and it, it, he actually started making like creepy movies when he was eight. He oh, I'm sure. His friends, he'd do stop motion animation, which apparently every old director did, according to him. Yeah. You know, clay monsters and all a that. A lot of eight millimeter films and beaten it. I bet. Yeah. In the vault somewhere. So his family ended up moving to Western. Kentucky, Oof. where Oof. he went to Western Kentucky University, where his father chaired the music department, uh, uh. and like was in there. It was pretty much like Kentucky sucks. <laughs> this school sucks. Uh -huh. I'm gonna try to be a filmmaker. Yeah, and he ended up going to USC Cinema, huh. which very cool. prestigious school apparently. I don't really know anything about it, but him and some of the other University people. University of Southern California. Yes. So I found out that, uh, and I tried to find the film itself, but apparently you have to go to U USC Cinema to uh -huh. actually watch it. They'll let you watch it, but only for like research purposes. 1969, he directed an eight-minute short called Captain Voyeur, which apparently has a lot of allusions to Halloween. Like the way it's shot and everything. I tried to find it on YouTube, and then I found out that not going to happen. Yeah. I was very upset. Instead, I just found a song called The Voyeur by John Carpenter. 
So then in 1970, he collaborated with a producer named John Longnecker, who really has not done a goddamn thing since then, mm-hmm. on a movie which he co-wrote with him. He was a film editor, music composer. It was a short called The Res- Resurrection of Bronco Billy. Doesn't sound like something I'd enjoy, uh, but... Sounds exactly like something I'd enjoy. <laughs> the synopsis of, a, of the film is... A film about a young man who dreams of being a cowboy but currently lives in the big city. Uh, That's on IMDb. Currently lives in the big city. I thought he dreamt of being a Bronco in real life. No, no, it's not a horse thing. No. Just, just, wanna be a just imagine. Stallion. I just imagine the shorts just, just like, like. Oh man, I wish I wasn't in the big city. <laughs> I wish I was out there on the plains. Why are you talking like that, Cliff? Well, you know when I think about out there and what it's like on them horses, I just. Sorry, do we remember? Cliff, we live in Newark. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you remember the one guy who I still see him around all the time that dressed like he was from. The yes, big country. <laughs> yes. He used to have a hat with a like, stars and bars on the you brim. Are from, you are literally from South Jersey. No, like, yeah, for the my first heritage. six months I didn't know him. Or I, I knew him. He didn't dress like that, and all of a sudden one day he was like, I'm a cowboy. <laughs> we were like, you are not a cowboy. Get out of well, here. Well, I know several people in our... It doesn't matter. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, we live in Jersey, so we got the, the backyard hillbilly. Yeah, just because yes, they got trees in their backyard, yeah. they think they're some kind of southerner. People in the South, though, I lived in Alabama. People in Alabama don't dress like that. I know. People in Texas do, though. Oklahoma, they do. Yeah. They think they're from, like, the Midwest South. Like, that's that's the joke of it all. It's because they're trying to keep out them damn Mexicans. Yeah, I know. Big I know. guns, big dicks. Yeah, the opposite of both. Yes, it's very true. But the film uh, Resurrection of Bronco Billy won an Academy Award for Best Live-Action Short Film. Wow. An Oscar? Yeah. What year was that? The year that there were no 1970. <laughs> Billy Bronco. And then in 1974, he started doing a low-budget film th- film thesis. Those are hard words to put together. Film thesis. Which film thesis. He film directed thesis. but co-wrote with his friend Dan O'Bannon. Do you recognize the name? Ooh, yeah. sounds familiar. Oh yeah. He no wrote Alien. He almost made the failed Dune movie. Oh, was he the guy who also wrote Dead and Buried? Yes. Yeah. He wrote Dead and Buried. He wrote a, uh, the heavy metal segment, Soft Landing. Oh, yeah. Which is a great one. Yeah. He wrote uh, The Return of the Living Dead and Total Recall. The man is like Ooh, a, a fucking legend yeah. in and of itself. And didn't, like, didn't, I can't just like imagine. Wait, no, I'm getting the Terminator theme song. But the Total Recall song is good, too. Sharon Stone. Boobles. <laughs> Boobles. Do you know the name of the film I'm talking about? Total Recall? No. <laughs> Dark Star. Have you ever uh, seen Dark Star? No, I have not I, seen it yet. Yeah, I know. But apparently it was a sci-fi comedy about a crew who'd been lost on a mission for 20 years with funny results. Yeah. <laughs> My family is dead. That's a funny I'm result. dead. Oh, look, aliens! <laughs> I just that give everyone like hilarious. three voices. Old guy voice. Weird effeminate guy voice and southern guy voice. What about Ghoul? Gary the Ghoul is kind of Gary the Ghoul is voice. just my old guy voice. Yeah. Oh, there's 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 one more drunk guy voice. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. <laughs> that sounds a feels, little German. I feel like uh, Moses is here, like Rosh. I know. Like rock. Rock. Barack Obama. Piece of shit rock. 
So the movie itself cost sixty thousand, and it was very hard for them to complete because they need to get people to fund the full release and everything. And O'Bannon acted in the film. He also did the special effects, which caught the eye of George Lucas, which is why he ended up working on special effects for Star Wars. Awesome. Mm. So That's I mean, like a they dream come true. Yeah, even though this movie was kind of a flop, they both did. Pretty well afterwards. I mean, it's the thing that partially well, and it's a cult. Start their it's career. a cult movie now. Yeah. Oh yeah. I've never seen it, but it doesn't mean I'm not the, the cult. The cult is real. Yeah. I mean, it got it got Carpenter an agent, and then for a while he just kind of wrote screenplays. And I, I loved this in the Fangoria interview. He's like, "Yeah, you can make a lot of money money writing for movies that never get made." And he talks about how you'd have three months to write a movie. So he'd write an outline over like a weekend and then send it to them and be like, okay, yeah, yeah, give us a screenplay. So then he'd wait two months to like the last few days, bang out the screenplay and they'd be like, oh, wow, that's, this is really good. But here, here are some, you know, changes we, we want you to make. And he'd be like, okay. So he's like, yeah, it's the easiest job in the world to make some money on, which I just, I, there's something about his general assholeness that I love about him because uh-huh. it's just so real. He's not really like an asshole where he's like a bad person. Yeah. It's just like he's he just a bunch of bullshit. Yeah. Like it's like Hollywood is a bullshit industry mm-hmm. and it's like why not play the game? No, or like play the play the game against itself. You know? Yeah. And um, another movie which I have not seen fully sober, his next full length feature film which we should watch which I feel like is a phrase that's commonly uttered in our friendship. Mm is the 1976 classic Assault on Precinct 13. Oh, I own that. You do? Yeah. Oh, perfect. That movie rules. Yeah, it's a low-budget thriller influenced by Howard Hawks, particularly Rio Bravo. Yeah. Well, they remade it with Ethan Hawke and uh, Morpheus, I think it was. Yeah, they did. And I didn't see the remake. But no, I think I was on a bunch of dope when I watched it. But uh, it's like, it's pretty, it's minimal. And it has a very much kind of like a... I would say it's like somewhere between Night of the Living Dead and Dawn of the Dead kind of a vibe with the acting and the style and whatever. Like it's a it's an exploitation film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it, it really reminds me of kind of like Night of the Living Dead in a lot of ways. Like just in its overall vibe as well as its like acting. But the the main theme of it is super famous because it's been turned into club music like tons of times. Like all of his music, you know, I know you're not touching on it so much, or at least right now. Well, I'm going to let you touch on that. Yeah, but his scoring, uh, which he did from his movies from the get-go, because he had that education and the background from his dad and all the rest in terms of how to play instruments, and, like, started to build a massive home studio where he had state-of-the-art synthesizers and sequencers and, like, all this crazy stuff. His scores are, like, these awesome, minimal, uh, but very evocative scores that are, in many ways, like, what make... 16 and 8-bit and uh, 32-bit music from video games so good is that they had less, so they had to make something memorable with, like, less, you know? Mm. And it wasn't that he didn't have a ton of instruments, but you also don't want to overpower your movie. Right. And the the theme song for Assault on Precinct 13 is fucking dynamite. It is a good one. Name one soundtrack he's made that wasn't dynamite. Well, I'm not a big fan of They Live. Like, it's all right. I mean, his later movies, everything outside of his, like, largely pretty much when he hit the 90s it was a all downhill from there well yeah in a lot of different ways but like i mean the i'll get into which ones are my favorite and why but you want me to read the uh 
the IMDb synopsis? Sure. A movie about an unlikely partnership between a highly... Mm, let me start over. <laughs> a movie about an unlikely partnership between a highway patrol officer, two criminals, and a station secretary is formed to defend a defunct Los Angeles precinct office against a siege by a bloodthirsty street gang. That a lot of racism in the movie. B.A. Maybe. I don't really remember that. But I also, I do remember that there's this ice cream truck scene that's like, Pretty good. I don't remember any of the movie. Is it sexual in nature? Uh, it is dark in nature. Ah. Yeah, well, so, originally the movie actually received an X rating. And, like I said, this is why I love the assholeness of John Carpenter. Due to a child being murdered in the film. Yeah, a little that's, girl. that's what I'm So he sent an altered copy to the MPA without the scene. And then they gave it an R rating. So then he released the full movie un unedited. Wow. It was just so like, cool. come at me, bro. <laughs> My first, first real fucking movie outside of fucking college. I'm gonna do what I want. That's so funny. So he wrote, he directed, he scored it, and he also edited it using the pseudonym John T. Chance, who was the name of John Wayne character in Rio Bravo, which I think is funny because he's just like this secret Western nerd. And he said it, he, he considers the movie his first real film, because he actually filmed it on a schedule. Mm. And like a lot of the interviews I read about him, he's just like, oh god, I'm so glad I don't have to make movies anymore. You have to like do actual work and wake <laughs> up in the morning. I hate that. Yeah. And he also talks about how he doesn't rewatch any of his old stuff, because god forbid he see all the mistakes and whatever. No, he hates which, watching his own films. Which I totally get. Like, I feel like as a filmmaker yeah. or as a musician myself, I listen to my old albums and it's like being tortured. I'm like, yeah. why did I think this was acceptable to release now? Yeah. Like, and I would, I sit on most of my music for like a good year, year and a half before I come out. I'm like, no, this is great. I just killed it. Comes out like three months later, I've recorded something new. I'm like, this is, that's trash. <laughs> yeah, see, that's how I feel about our podcast. <laughs> Because every episode's a golden god to me. <laughs> so the movie really didn't do super well here, but it got a huge following in the UK, which really started getting him notoriety. And that must have been on the early end of the uh, video nasties, right? Oh, yeah. Is that before the banning started, or uh, did it get cult status there because it got banned after it came out? When, when did that start, do you know? I want to say the video nasties was like, maybe it was late 70s, but I... I feel this was like 76. Yeah, I feel like it was a little later than that. Because I, I think, like, I know they were getting on the the sort of golden age of Giallo and a lot of those, but those movies didn't get brought to the UK right away anyway. Yeah. So, his next movie is one of my personal favorites. Halloween, 1978. Now, this movie needs no IMDb tagline. It's about Mike Myers. Did you get one, though? No, I didn't. I can look one up real quick. I'll no, look it up. All right. Go ahead. But, uh, it's the thing that really started the mainstream slasher genre. Yeah. Without it, we there wouldn't were, have... There were precursors, but this, yeah, but this, this was is the, the thing that brought it into the forefront, because this movie was a huge success. Fifteen years after murdering his sister on Halloween night, 1963, Michael Myers escapes from a mental hospital and returns to the small town of Haddonfield to kill again. Which is based on Haddonfield, New Jersey, which is down the street from where we live, because that's where Deborah Hill went to school. Yeah, that's fine. That's Steal so my thunder. Cool. I can't help myself. We literally are. Piece of shit. Down the street, oh. down the street from Haddonfield. 
You know, you guys are supposed to be making the jokes the whole time. You're just eating up my information and stealing it. Well, you picked a topic that I kind of know a little bit about. I'm sorry. I picked a topic that I know nothing about. Then be funny. Yeah. Ha <laughs> Two three four nine no, or two two five zero. Okay. Say yeah. something. I'll make a joke. Originally, <laughs> more like uh, unoriginally. <sighs> stole everything. I steal the jokes too. All right. Go What's ahead. up? I'm here. I'm so, repping. So the the idea for the movie was given to him by Erwin Yablons, and the the original title for the movie was The Babysitter Murders. God, I love that you Baby wear sweatpants. So, <laughs> babysitter murders. Could you imagine that, that was, like was the, the baby, theme song? That was mm-hmm. Babysitter's Club theme song. Babysitter's Club. Babysitter's Murders. Yeah. I've seen that movie. Yeah. I have seen that movie. Yeah. It's called Halloween. Remember yeah. when we redid the lyrics to the Monster Mash when there was that horrible car accident? Mm-hmm. <laughs> People are dead. <laughs> it was a graveyard smash. They got run over. Yeah, we're really good. Yeah, we're really funny. We should record everything we do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Babe, I just shit so hard I fucking gave myself a hemorrhoid. <laughs> so, Yablons... Oh, I wish that was a joke. <laughs> Yablons pretty much was like, yeah, let's make a movie about fucking babysitters getting murdered. And John Carpenter was like, alright. Love it. But he wanted full creative control over it. He was like, either I get creative control or I'm not doing it. Uh. He's done two feature-length movies that yeah. haven't done super well. Yeah. And I just, he's just like, I'm the fucking man, bro. <laughs> yeah. I'm the fucking man. Look at my mustache. I don't know if he had a mustache yet. I bet he did. I gotta look up a picture. Uh, another suggestion from Yablons was that the movie took place on Halloween. And, oh, yeah. uh... He's got a mustache. Got John Carpenter says, Halloween night has never been the theme in the film. My idea was to do an old haunted house film. So, the film was written by him and Deborah Hill, who is from Haddonfield, New Jersey, which I drove through to get here. Very cool. Super cool. And he admits that the music in the film was very much inspired by Dario Argento's Suspiria, another movie we love. And, you know, it's a surreal color scheme, because in the movie he uses, like, a lot of blues and a lot of weird lightings and stuff. Yeah. And William Friedkin's The Exorcist. Yep. Mm. So, the budget for the movie was only 320000 and grossed more than $65 million Jesus initially. Christ. Making it pretty much the most in- successful independent film of all time. Yeah. And that's that's really, like... You know, this is this is true Carpenter. This is when he really started doing his shit. Well, it's like, it's so... I can picture the opening credits sequence with the jack-o'-lantern and the music playing instantly. It's I mean, it's iconic. And not just because it's iconic now and everybody says so. It's like, you just watch it one time and you're like, oh, I get it. Yeah. Like, this I mean, movie fucking rules. Remember the time that we listened to the soundtrack and played that Grand That was for Halloween 2. Still, it's, it, we, it still has the same opening theme. Though. Yeah, it's essentially the same theme. And all we did... <laughs> we put on a hockey mask and we murdered prostitutes, sex workers. Yeah. Yeah. We tried to pick one up in a helicopter and she kept jumping out. Yeah. <laughs> we were trying to parachute next to her while she fell to her death. It didn't work. But it kind of did. We had a lot of fun with it. Yeah. Well, and those weren't even... Well, they were sex workers, but they were 
strippers. strippers. Yeah. And then if you pay them enough money, they'll be like, oh, let's go home together. Yeah. And like, they'll follow you in whatever car you pull up in the back alley to. So we had to try to land this helicopter <laughs> in the back alley and then have her get in. But if you got too high or drove too crazy, she would jump out. Yeah. Oh, man, it was wild. We tried to get a jet in there. It was. <laughs> well, we were, we would pick them up. We would pick them up in a car, drive like down the riverway to this tunnel. Get out <laughs> and then like, put on the mask. He'd start the soundtrack <laughs> and then take out a knife and slowly walk towards them. Yeah. Then set them on fire and take a selfie with it. Yeah. God. Yeah. So brutal. Yeah. That's the man you live with now. Yeah. yeah. He's a good man. He is a great, great man. Do <laughs> <laughs> you want to you want to hear how Carpenter described Halloween? Yeah. True crass exploitation. I decided to make a film I would love to have seen as a kid, full of cheap tricks like a haunted house at a fair where you walk down a corridor and things jump out at you. Ooh, yeah, I know, exactly dramatic reading. Nah, he doesn't talk like that. So, a lot of people are always like, you know, oh man, this is an allegory of the virtue of sexual purity and, and the danger of casual sex. And <laughs> Garbage just like, yeah, it's been suggested that I was making some kind of moral statement. Believe me, I'm not. And Halloween... I view the characters as simply normal teenagers. Oh. Yeah. And, you know, it's it's funny because, like, you look at that film and it's not bloody. 90% of the violence takes takes place off screen. Well, and there's there's just not any gore. It's, yeah. it's, it's a lot like uh, Friday the 13th in the sense of you're seeing a lot of body arrangement. Yeah. A little bit of dead body art, if you will. If I... <clears throat> yeah. I went there. Two two four nine. <laughs> that was it. Was that a play on body art? No, I referenced the song by Anatomia earlier. Oh, dead, dead body art. Right. I didn't reference. I talked about. Okay. I'm sure one of the eight people who listen to this will get that. I hope so. I didn't get it. I that's odd. I already <laughs> forgot. What was it's like it closes, like, and all my memories gone. are sucked yeah. out of my head. It's like it's like a curse. You opened it, and we <laughs> came. It's just a puzzle box. <laughs> no, it is a gateway. It's just a disco box. <laughs> no, it is a record box. <laughs> so now we get into Carpenter's 1980s films. Yeah. One which I know you have now. Yeah. The Fog. Yeah. Ooh, I've never seen The Fog. It's good. I liked it. I haven't. I haven't watched it either. That's of all of his scores. A lot of people say that's his best, and I've almost bought it on the merits of other people's opinions alone. But having not seen the film, I wanna. I wanna watch it first before I make the investment because that was a. I believe it was a Mondo. Maybe it was a Death Wish release that was mega expensive and fancy, fancy. Yeah, it's probably still super expensive. Yeah, even I'm sure more it is. so now. Yeah. A ghostly revenge tale, co-written by Hill. Inspired by horror comics such as Tales from the Crypt and by The Crawling Eye, a 1958 film about monsters hiding in clouds. Mm. Ooh. It sounds weird. It sounds, yeah, that sounds pretty rad. I like it. <laughs> so, this movie apparently was super rough for him to finish because he viewed a rough cut of the film and fucking hated it. Uh. Yeah. So, he devised a way to salvage a nearly finished film that did not meet his standards, essentially by reshooting a bunch of shit before it came out. And despite all that, the film was made on a budget of a million dollars, 
but it grossed over 21 million in the United States alone. Yeah, well, you had the goodwill of yeah, Halloween. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, at that point, they're like, yeah, we'll throw money at you. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's one. Of, it's the classic example of when you're an artist with less to work with, you have to be more creative. Yeah. And I feel like once you've got that kind of money, you know, it can be, it, it can go one of two ways. Mm. Like you can you can make a bigger vision or you can have issues. Yeah. And I realized I skipped Halloween too. Why? Why did I skip it? He didn't direct it though, did he? No, he helped write it. Yeah. So this is mostly stuff he's directed. And I yeah, no, no, I, I, I get that. I do want to say, though, for the record, that Halloween 2, to me, is awesome. as, as good in some ways. Halloween 1 is just a different kind of a movie. It's yeah. it's a creepier slasher film, whereas Halloween 2 is way more violent and gory. Halloween 2 come out in relation to Halloween 1? Like, what was the year Halloween difference? 1 was 78 or 76? Halloween 78. 1 was 78. Yeah, so I think Halloween 2 was 80. I'm almost so. positive it's 80. And it picks up directly after the first note. Yeah, oh. like the moment it ends. Which is oh, very wow. rare for Harvey. Yeah, films. it is. 1981. But he scored it with Alan Howarth, who is the man. And uh, I think, really, their partnership created the best scores that Carpenter ever did. So now we're on to one of our favorites. One you've seen, Alexa. Escape from New York. Escape from New York, 1981. I really, yeah! I really liked that movie. That was just all over the fucking place. Yeah, it's Kurt Russell at peak performance. It's Kurt Russell being Kurt Russell. Because Kurt Russell is always at peak performance. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a solid point. And the, I th this is actually the first movie they worked together on, which kind of made him a staple in his movies. Yeah. yeah. You ready for the uh, synopsis? Yes. In 1970, 1997... I'm a little drunk. When the U.S. president crashes into Manhattan, now a giant maximum security prison, a convicted bank robber is sent in to rescue him. Yeah, That's so the, the coolest things about Escape from New York are the sort of the environment that led to its creation and the technology that it represents at the time. Yeah. So in the 70s and early 80s, before New York got cleaned up, it was a giant cesspool. Like, you watch all those classic slashers and crime films from the 70s and 80s. And they show Times Square, and it's all peep shows and, and, and Look at street Robocop. walkers. Yeah. And, yeah, well, that was Detroit. It, I mean, you know, shit cities are shit cities. But I'm talking about New York. Shut Escape, up. From, Escape from New Just York. keep going. But anyway, so, yeah, so it takes that... That cesspool of Manhattan Island, and they're like, why don't we just turn it into a giant prison since it's basically a human zoo in the first place? And, like, that's just a great idea. I love that, Who's first the, of all. I mean, that's pretty much the way Long Island is now. Yeah, I guess. It's a human cesspool. <laughs> but um, the other thing that kills me about it is that the thing he has to get, along with the president, is the cassette tape that has the nuclear talks on it that's so essential to world peace. It's a fucking cassette tape, like, that will end or save the world. And I just love yeah. that. <laughs> well, you That's remember somebody... when fucking floppy disks could end or save the world? Oh, yeah. Yeah, right. No, I know. Oh. But, yeah. Adrian Barbeau? Barbeau. Barbeau. Yeah, and Henry now Dean Stanton. Or Harry Dean Stanton? Jesus. Who's, uh, well, who's I have everyone here. John Carpenter? Yeah. yeah. He, was a, he was married to Adrian Barbeau. Oh, yeah. Oh, and their was. son is in his band. Yeah. They're, they are now divorced. Adrian no. Barbeau, though, has fantastic titties, and they make a fantastic appearance many times in the yeah, film. Yeah, they and, sure do. And she's Harry Dean Stanton's arm candy. Donald Pleasance is in it, 
and fucking Isaac Hayes. That movie rules so hard. Yeah. <sighs> so was Charles Cyphers and Frank Doubleday. True. And Jean Van Cleef. And Harry Dean Stanton. I already said that like three times. And who's, Ernest. Who's dead? Rip in peace. He and died. Ernest Borgnine. Yeah. Who plays Gabby? Yep. And it was very successful, grossing more than $25 million. That movie fucking rules. And is critically acclaimed. It fucking rules. Yeah, no, that is a great movie. I love every part of it. It's it's like, it's a silly film. Yeah. But oh, it yeah. is an awesome film. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's the thing. Like, a lot of his movies outside of, like, Halloween and The Thing have a hint of silliness to them. Yeah. Yeah. It's campy. Yeah, but it's it's cool because it's, like, an (laughs) 80s action film without the... Like, I mean, Snake Plissken is super macho, but he's macho in a way that, like, Western characters were macho. Mm -hmm. Like, Western Western anti-heroes. Whereas Stallone and Schwarzenegger were, like, they were a different kind of, yeah. a lot of times, uh, guy. And those movies were, you know, they were like Reagan to the max, where yeah. this is like the counterculture, but mm-hmm. the same genre and style to a point. That's a great way to say it. That's a great way to say it. You're really good at this. I mean, don't gas him up too much. I'm gassy. You're the <laughs> fucking worst. Thanks. I hope, I hope you stub your toe later. Ooh. Ow. Well, listen, I was going to say get a hemorrhoid, but you already get those, and that's horrible. I know. I thought I had one the other day, but it came back in. Yeah. Remember my bachelor party where we all looked at your clitoroid? Yeah. His hemorrhoid was so big, it looked like a little clit. Yeah. It looked like a big clit. Big old clit. I just wanted to flick at it. I've heard this story many times. (laughs) It was so hot. Anyway, then my brother was like... You guys all really looked inside of his ass. We were like, yeah, you want to see? It's not even inside. It was like outside. It was like a knuckle on top of my butthole. That was so good. I love you, buddy. Yeah. That was rough, man. Playing paintball with a clitoroid. Yeah. Walking funny all day. Yeah, you were. And then I couldn't train at the gym. And my trainer was like, why? I was like, I have an injury. She's like, what's your injury? I was like, I got it during paintball. She's like, what is it? I was like, it it's doesn't. in my butthole. It doesn't matter. <laughs> I did not tell her. I was like, I'm not going to explain my external hemorrhoid to you. I'm not going to explain myself to you. I pay I you. you. I pay you. I pay you. I weep in the showers. Trying to clean it, but barely being able to touch it. Yeah. No, it didn't hurt like that. It's more of just like you don't want to further aggravate it. You, you just want it to go away. We need to shut down the hemorrhoid talk. Why? People have hemorrhoids, and they shouldn't be ashamed of it. Yeah, this is called drawing in the listener by relating, you know, personal relating to them. You know, all, you know, four of our eight listeners are going to be like, I've had hemorrhoids too. Yeah, and they're not always external. That's the scary part. And like, you know, women get them when we're pre- they're pregnant, but nobody else, they all think they're immune unless you eat like way too much queso. Not true. Normal diet, and you can still get hemorrhoids. Mm. I don't put cream on my coffee. I put queso on my coffee. <laughs> That's really gross. Duh. Yes, it is. You guys ready to move on? Let's do it. His next movie. Yeah. My second favorite film by him. Maybe my first. I don't know. Halloween and this are pretty tied. What? How could Halloween be this? This is like top three greatest films of all time. Yeah, this is a great Yeah. Movie. Okay, fair enough. The Thing. Yeah. 1982. A remake or a reimagining of The Thing from Another World. A movie about an Arctic outpost where an alien who has the ability to transform both physically and mentally mm-hmm. to copy other living creatures. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, this idea of this 
fear of not being able to trust the other person around you because they're infected, but you can't tell whether or not they're infected, yeah. has been in every, every sci-fi yeah. movie, television show, horror movie, television show. Uh, Supernatural's done it. Yeah. X-Files has done it. To name like the big two over the last few years. Buffy did it. Like it, It's been in everything at yeah. this point. Well, it's also Invasion of the Body Snatchers. It's not like he's the first one to come up with the idea. Right, but like he perfected it. Yeah, I, I mean, the movie was a relative flop, So, but I think in terms of like a lot of those types of movies, um, you know, they influence directors, even if a lot of people don't see them. So I would say that, you know, I mean, X-Files has an episode that's like just the thing. They're in an active volcano. It is. It is whatever. the thing. Yeah, and no, there's... They're, they're, not, they're in an active volcano. No, the one from season one where they're in, like, the frozen outpost. I think it's the North Pole instead of the South, but it's the same bullshit. It's, like, the fourth episode. I mean, the revived series of Doctor Who, or New Who, as Whovians call it, has done an episode that's pretty much the same exact thing. It was a Christmas episode. Yeah. Um, uh, Nick Frost played Santa in that episode. Really? Yep. It's a good oh. episode. Yeah, no, I mean, I do agree that I think... The way he did it more than... I mean, Invasion of the Body Snatchers certainly plays a role in that, but this is the movie, like, at least I think of when I think of that. Yeah. Sounds like something an alien would say, mm. Dick Fetty, if that is really you. Lead into that tell, tell me more before I, uh... So we can test it. Also, this movie was a huge influence for, like, a lot of body horror things nowadays, yeah. like Parasite, the Maxim. Yeah. Pretty much... Very much the thing. And I can't imagine that Cronenberg, to some extent, wasn't influenced by this. I mean, he was currently oh, making movies it. at the same time as um, Carpenter. But, like, I mean, I feel like anybody who's into horror and saw that movie would have been like, oh, shit. The documentary that comes with the special editions of the DVD and Blu-ray is so fucking worth watching. Because yeah. they spend a lot of time talking about the special effects and the way that they did, like, all these practical effects. Which were incredible. Fucking incredible. I mean, to do the opening thing, the title sequence where they show the thing, they, they burnt, like, a plastic trash bag behind an aquarium while they, like, filmed it with a stencil. Like, wild shit. Yeah. Like, and you're really thinking, this this shouldn't even be hard. Yeah. And everything they did was difficult in a certain way. And then, of course, they shot it in Canada in the fucking freezing snow, and they had, like, a whole huge uh, thing. America's gonna, hat. Yeah, are you going to go into that, or am I still in your thunder? No, 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 go ahead. Oh, yeah, so they had, like, this huge barge that everybody was, like, working and living and whatever, and then they built a set, and the the set you see the Norwegian camp they go to is the, the set that the whole movie is set in, but they just burn it down, and then they filmed it at the end and then inserted it early on, and it's it's so fucking good. The documentary, if you've ever seen the thing and you haven't watched the documentary, you're a fucking idiot. You should watch it. Yeah, it's really good, and it, Frank, it's been touching on the special effects, which were done by Rob Botton. And special visual effects were done by artist Albert Whitlock. Now, I want you to touch on this, because I know you know a lot about this. The movie was sort of scored by uh, Ennio Morricone. Yeah. So, uh, famously, this is one of the few Carpenter films where he got somebody outside to do the score. Um, and, and he loved it, right? <laughs> yeah. In part because he was super busy, because the film was like one of his... It was the biggest undertaking he had ever done in terms of, like, everything. Yeah. And also, you know, I think my understanding and remembrance of it is basically they thought... I think the studio was pushing and Morricone was interested or whatever. But, so Morricone 
does this whole big orchestral score and all this crap. And Carpenter's like, it's beautiful. I love it. Yeah, yeah. hates it. He's like, I'm not using this any of this. Stupid. Shit. Yeah, <laughs> this is stupid. This is a nerd score for nerds. Now, Morricone is famous for scoring so many of the spaghetti westerns. So I can't imagine that. You know, I feel like Carpenter would have been pro him in a certain yeah. sense because I'm sure he watched a lot of the movies that he scored. But he's also a control freak. Yeah, well, they both are. And so Morricone is like just as arrogant of a douchebag as they come, and he's fucking Italian. So, uh, you know, he sends the score, and, and Carpenter's like, I'm not using this. So he, he uses like the main dum dum, dum dum. That's like. Three minutes of a nine-minute song yeah. that never shows up the last two-thirds of it in the in the film, and a bunch of the other parts of the score are like never making an actual appearance. And when you buy the actual score by Morricone and you hear it, you're like, "What the what what the, what the hell is this it? shit?" Yeah. yeah. Fun fact for you: if you want to hear that score in an actual film, watch the Hateful Eight. Oh yeah, they use part of it, not yeah, the they whole do. thing. Ooh. Yeah, because Morricone scored the whole movie, yeah. but um. What was I going to say? Carpenter put in cues and did some tweaking to the score, which then, of course, Morricone flipped out and was like, I'm never working with this asshole yeah. again. And Carpenter's like, I'm never working with you again. Fuck you, too. Which happens a lot with any of Morricone, I yeah. feel like. We covered him not working with someone ever again on a previous episode. Yeah, we did. So, and star, star-studded cast of, obviously... Kurt fucking Russell. Yeah, who who is like got one of the most glorious beards, head of hair, hats. I've looked into getting that hat made. That hat is like a four hundred dollar hat. <laughs> Specialty shop in California makes them. And then we go on to Wilford Brimley, mm-hmm. oh, the yeah. mustachioed man. Keith David. Mm-hmm. Keith David. Richard Dysart. 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 Charles Hallahan. Keith David. And Richard Massor. So, for those who don't know Keith David, you do. He was the voice of Spawn, which probably a lot of people don't think of him as, but I always think of Keith David first and foremost as Wanda. Ass uh, to ass. Yeah, he's also in Requiem for a Dream as the heroin dealer uh, that Marion pleasures from time to time. And um, he does a ton of voices for cartoons now. He's in Rick and Morty a bunch of times. He plays the president. Other he was also like in that. Community. He was in Community in the last season. He plays, uh, gosh, what's the guy's name? Something. Yeah, I don't remember. What is it? Something Systems? Oh, man. It's going to kill me. But anyways, Keith David's fucking great. Yeah. And the movie's so absurd. Why they have flamethrowers in Antarctica? I don't know. I don't care. <laughs> yeah. They have flamethrowers, so it's fucking uh, better than a movie that does so they can get to the samples, Frank. That doesn't... No. That's not how that works. <laughs> but, listen, no one ever said that he was a scientist, but that, I'm pretty sure that's why they had them. But it's the, the thing about that movie, more than any other movie he did, was the campiness is completely absent, other than like a few hints and some of the monstery type of things. But I wouldn't even say the monsters are campy. Like even by today's standards, they are horrifying. Well, I don't. I don't know. Some of them are a little goofy. They're a little like the head monsters, a little goofy. Yeah, I would not say by today's standards they are horrifying. Yeah, when uh, you compare mm, it to the modern it, like yeah. he's more. But I don't know. I'm also super desensitized. So what do I know? But it the 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 writing for it and all the rest, the themes, the whole style of it, it is like so much more somber than anything else he's done, in my opinion, and just as league's better for it like yeah i mm-hmm. like that is a landmark film that he'll in my opinion never surpass and since he doesn't direct anymore probably won't mm-hmm. take a pee break all right so he actually <laughs> lost a lot of money on this film like you said it was a huge financial flop 
what? Which, yeah. yes. Because it came bummer. out, well, there's theories, but I bet. No, sure. go ahead. Well, so it came out uh, the same day as E.T. and... No. I forget what the other one, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, wow. I think it was. I believe so. And uh, both of those movies had a much more positive view on alien interaction and also fucking E.T. Yeah. So um, it sort of just got lost in the mix of releases and also people were like, we don't want to... That's, that's dark. Yeah. That's dark. Nowadays, it's entirely beloved. Yeah, it was a movie that, and, and something that's hard to understand, I think, because, I mean, granted, I grew up with VHSs, right? But there was a time for our parents and uh, generations before us, maybe not your parents, but, well, I guess, but, like, there weren't VHS tapes. Yeah. Like, you saw the movie in the theaters, yeah. and that was it, and there was no way to watch it again. And so many movies that have become cult classics were either because enough people would show up to midnight showings in New York or, you know, there were cities that did it, like Rocky or Picture Show, um, and Eraser had and other films of that ilk, or they came out later on VHS and people had the time to, like, watch them again. Yeah. But this was a movie, I remember reading, it was E! Weekly, I think, Entertainment Weekly, had a list of 100 cult films you should see, which, when I was 13, you know, okay, like, they were a good source of information. Yeah. And that movie was on there, and I was like, this sounds fucking rad. My mom rented it at Blockbuster. I rented that movie every weekend for, like, fucking three months. That movie rules. Yeah, and I mean, there's... It's it's one of the ways a lot of people saw the movie for the first time, and watching it on VHS gives this, like, you know, it's that grainy, just guttural, shitty, just... It's... It's good. Changes it, it. Yeah, it's like watching the unedited when we watched the unedited Star Wars. Yeah, you know, there's something a little extra there because you're watching it on VHS. Mm. Yeah, and I mean, granted, like not every VHS VHS tape has bad picture quality, but there's always a reduction in the clarity, uh, given the nature of the format, and you know, there's just something magical. I think that for us, it's a nostalgia tinged medium anyway. So anything you watch on VHS yeah. has, you know, an extra special quality. We're to the it. generation of nostalgia because of all the different technology we've gone through. Seriously, yeah, right? But uh, you know, I do just want to point that out, and it's and it's you know that's one of the great things about this internet age now is you know anybody could buy it anywhere. It doesn't even have to be from a cold shop or whatever. And granted, it was a major studio release film. But, you know, now I've got the crystal clear 4K <laughs> Blu-ray. Yeah, which is an awesome way to watch it. Like, I don't think I could watch the VHS unless I... Whereas the remake I've seen, but was so forgettable, I don't remember a single fucking scene from it. Yeah, I just remember being pissed off that I spent that mo- time in my life to watch it and that I'll never get back. Yeah. I was stuck in a hotel and it still didn't make it better. It was None of his remakes. Garbage. None of the remakes they made over to his movies are good. Yeah. And they're, ah. they're fucking... Who's doing... Somebody's doing uh, Escape from New York. I think it's Eli Roth or Ooh, one of those yeah, assholes. Yeah, I fucking hate. No, Eli it's Roth. Rodriguez. It's Rodriguez. What? That could be good. I like. But Rodriguez. it's probably gonna suck. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, that's a funny thing because when um now I, it's not great, but I it's still enjoyable as a slasher pick. The remake of uh, Halloween by Rob Zombie. Now, love him as a musical artist. I think he's sort of garbage as a film director because Except he is for the Devil's Rejects. Yeah, okay, yeah, good movie, but he doesn't have anything that is original thought. All his movies are essentially remakes of other movies that were already awesome. Yeah. House of a Thousand Corpses is Texas Chainsaw. Uh, Devil's Rejects is essentially Last House on the Left. Wait, who are we talking about? Uh, Rob fucking Zombie. Rob Zombie. Oh, okay. Lords of Salem is Rosemary's Baby. Yeah. You know, it, it's... 
they're they're like it's like a, it's like eating a good sandwich, but the sandwich could be better. Yeah, eating a subway sandwich versus a good sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> You're like this sure is filling me, but emotionally. I'm totally unfulfilled. I just watched that episode of Community. Yeah. I'm just going to keep bringing it back to Community. I'm not getting paid. But uh, the one with Subway is a corpo humanoid. Yeah. Eat fresh. <laughs> <laughs> it's even better when he comes back to sell the Hondas. Yeah. Gene keeps Let buying Seven susceptible. <laughs> <laughs> so because of this financial flop, he was going to make the movie Firestarter, which is a Stephen King novella. Immediately pulled him off the project. Why? Because they're like... It's Hollywood. Yeah, you fail. We're not letting you make this movie. Mm. We gave you a bunch of money, and you suck. Yeah, you spent it all on hookers. You it's suck. not even true. You should do what your last name says. You should be a carpenter. You <laughs> suck at making movies. Make me a cabinet. <laughs> That's probably what they said. Hollywood's rough. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. all those Jews <laughs> running it. Ben's Jewish. <laughs> HBO, Hebrew box office. God. Am I right? So, after that, 1984, he filmed a movie which I've never seen, even though it has one of my favorite actors in it, Jeff Bridges, called Starman. Have you seen Starman? Never seen Starman. Never seen Starman. So apparently it's a sci-fi romance. Sounds lame. About an alien that takes the form of a young widow's husband and asks her to drive him from Wisconsin to Arizona while the government tries to stop them. Doesn't, so I'm sorry, terrible. but the, the movies that he makes reminds me of Mark Maron's character in Glow. Well, to an extent. I think Mark Maron's character in Glow is a little bit based on him, although yeah. a schlockier, like, like way more exploitation. Did you watch driven. Glow? I've watched some of it. I haven't had a chance yeah. to finish it yet. We're back on Supernatural now, so I'm yeah. pretty hyped. Yeah. I'm actually going to wake my wife up when I get home and make her watch an episode. Nice. Otherwise, she's not allowed to leave the house for a week. <laughs> she's not allowed anyway. No, she does. She, somebody has to go shopping. I'm not doing it. I'm a man. <laughs> oh. I love you, Mariah. She hasn't listened to the podcast. <laughs> Thank God. Even though she listened to her, she heard me listening to the Jersey Devil episode, I was like, wow, I think this is the best episode you guys have done. <laughs> I'm like, you haven't listened to any of them. <laughs> Thanks, babe. Thanks for your support. Sorry. Sorry, Alexa doesn't listen to our podcast yeah, either. No, I don't. I'm sure it's good, though. It's fucking phenomenal. She has so much faith she's got in the project. I know. Am I here? Am I queer? Get used to it. Go ahead, man. Keep going. I don't know. I think we should just end the podcast now. <laughs> Leave off on a low note. I'm not queer. Not trying to appropriate over here. Why? Just keep rapping. Yeah. Take that hole. This is going to be a behind the podcast eventually on VH1. They're going to be like, at that point, Alexa turned to rapping. <laughs> and her career this was is, terrible. This is one of those moments where I wish I knew the payday rap from Community. Everyone thought she was going so to be the new I Fergie. <laughs> but instead, she was the new Do you want me poopy. to do um, Fergie's rap from No, Delicious? please don't. Every time I come around, I'm looking down. Always Knock it off. Up and down, looking at There's too up. many episodes where you rap. No problem, little mama. I just want to take a man. And I know I'm coming off just a little bit conceited. And I keep on beating other boys when I eat it. But I'm trying to that I can't be treated like Clando. Because they say she delicious, so delicious. My body stay vicious. I be up in the gym just working on my fitness. He's my witness. Okay. Are you done? Remember that time she peed herself on stage? Anyway... Uh, so the movie Starman apparently 
did very well. Critically acclaimed. Hmm. All that really? shenanigans. Yeah. I mean, I love Jeff Bridges, so. I like but he was Jeff really Bridges. young in it. Yeah. And I don't know if he had a beard. I feel like Jeff Bridges without a beard is just wrong. And it's not Jeff Bridges Tron either, so I don't know. Anyway, 1986. <laughs> the movie we just watched <laughs> Big Trouble in Little China. <laughs> This, this, uh, I love the tagline for this. Art is amazing, too. Oh, the cover for yeah. the oh, poster yeah. for it? Yes. Yeah. It's, it's, it's bitten off of Star Wars, just like so many other covers. Like yeah. uh, Army of Darkness, you know? They're just like, let's do a Star Wars one. I love I love the lettering on, on the cover of the DVD, yeah. too, because it's so, like, word art. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, but it's, class, it's hand-drawn. It doesn't have any of that cheapiness of the 90s mm-hmm. films like that. Yeah. But I also think it's funny because, like, that's just the way they do movie covers now, where it's always like a bunch of people of a bunch of different sizes looking a bunch of different directions, <laughs> and it just like doesn't mean anything. But that movie cover rules. It does. I have to say, oh Ripley, he looks uh, slightly related. I was looking at Mondo's website, Mondo the Poster Company today, and they have an archive of all the posters that they've done, which I didn't really realize. So I was trying to look for the Jay Shaw ones and had no luck, which was odd. I don't know if they're just not hosted through his on on the archive if there's a copyright thing and he doesn't want them up there. But I looked through all of their old archives. Because their posters suck. Like, I have to say that like ninety percent of them do not appeal to me at all and they're just like generic as anything else. They just have weird color palettes or Yeah. I mean pick. the the Halloween one the Halloween three one you got me, I fucking love. Oh yeah, but I mean I I I get all their updates. I see all their posters. And there's there's ones that the artists are certainly talented and from a design perspective, like okay. But when you really think about what makes a good or special or iconic poster that thirty years down the line you're gonna think like that's a great poster. The poster for the thing, where it's the guy with his snowsuit yeah. and the lights sparkling from it, exploding. Yeah, is fucking rad. Like that'll never not be a classy poster design. Whereas, like, I don't know, look at a Dark Knight poster, and you're like, Pfft. yeah. I mean, to be fair, so like the release one they did for It Follows, as opposed to the one you got me. The one you got me is way better than the original. Yeah, in my opinion. Yeah, no, I hear that. But then uh, there's a poster that I'd love to get, but is actually impossible to get because it was used for. A viewing in California of Reanimator, mm-hmm. and it's a beautiful poster. It's all green and black and drippy and awesome. I have a picture of it on my phone, but you can't get it. You just can't get it. I even went on the guy's website who made it. Can't get it. Check eBay. Checked eBay. I looked at an uh, uh, an Aaron Horky who does these wildly detailed, ultra gorgeous posters. He did a bunch of them for like Earth and Sun and Pelican, a lot of uh, Southern Lord artists and Neurosis even and stuff like that. Isis. He's an incredible visual artist with an like insane level of detail, but he did a handful of movie posters. He did one for Pan's Labyrinth. I checked eBay for it, and I knew it would be expensive because like Pan's Labyrinth yeah. is a big deal, and he's like a big deal artist. Seven hundred dollars. Jesus. Seven hundred fucking dollars. Don't want a piece of paper that much. No, but like really nice looking poster, but not that nice. I'm sure we could just steal it and bring it to Kinko's and blow it up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Way off topic. Way off topic, but that's what people come here for, the off-topicness. Uh-huh. You want to hear the synopsis for Big Trouble in Little China? Yes. An all-American trucker who gets dragged into a centuries-old mystical battle in Chinatown was also a huge flop. Did not do well. Now it's really well-regarded. Yeah. I mean, even the scores on IMDb are like 788 and the Metacritic scores are like 56. Yeah. But I love that movie. Yeah. 
I think it, I thought it was a lot of fun. It was ahead of its time. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh -huh. no, go ahead. No, no, no. I think that we should watch as a group Over the Top. I love Over the Top. You want to talk about trucker movies? I think it's Stallone in his prime. I think it's a hilarious premise for a movie that's not supposed to be hilarious. Love it. Okay. That's my two cents. We'll think about it. Thanks, guys. I appreciate that. So now we hit the 90s, which was just failure after failure for poor John Carpenter. We had M Memoirs of an Invisible Man. Never even heard of it. Yeah. News to me. We had Village of the Damned. Not great. Yeah, Not great. I've heard of that one. Yeah, it's about, you know, the kids. Like Children of the Corn? Yeah, but less good. I love Children of the Corn. Yeah, no, Children of the Corn rules. We had Escape from L.A., 1996. Now, I want to just put on the record that I saw that movie in theaters when I was, I guess, nine. That movie ruled to me because I was nine. And <laughs> also, Kurt Russell is still good in it. Yeah. The rest of the movie, not so much. There's a CG hang glider scene that is brutally bad. Steve Buscemi's in it. He cannot rescue the film. Bruce Campbell's in it. He cannot rescue the p film. And more importantly, you know who's in it? RuPaul. Yeah. yeah, RuPaul. RuPaul cannot rescue Escape from L.A.? No, RuPaul and, and Kurt Russell hang glide into the bad guy's, like, lair, or whatever you want to call it. More like, help me escape from this movie, am I Yeah, right? yeah, and the, the premise of that is that they make L.A. an even bigger prison than the New York one because an earthquake knocks it apart from the rest of California, and they turn it into a maximum security prison, and the president's daughter gets somehow kidnapped there and is under the sway of some drug lord guy who's going nuclear or something like that. It's it's like, I watched it when I was drinking. So I watched it in high school and was like, this is a terrible movie. Then I watched it when I was drinking and I was like, this isn't that bad of a way to spend my time. I haven't watched it sober, but I feel like don't need to. Yeah, I do own not. it on laser. Why disc, can I though? not find a still of RuPaul in Escape from LA? Don't know. Because she had them all erased from the internet. <laughs> Oh, my God. Beyonce's lawyer will sue you if you post this picture. <laughs> so, then we had Body Bags, which was a television horror anthology, which I've also never seen, which he collaborated with the amazing Toby Hooper. Well, amazing strong. Talk about a guy who made some really terrible films. Well, he just didn't give a... Well, cocaine plus him not giving a fuck anymore, you know? Like, yeah. he didn't... Probably plan on... Eh, that's, a, that's a different episode. Oh my God, it's Probably a much shorter episode. Yeah. Anyway. I've never seen Eaten Alive. That movie's supposed to be great, though. <laughs> then one of my cult classic favorites, In the Mouth of Madness, which was 1995, which is just a Lovecraftian love letter. Yeah. And I fucking love that movie. I remember when we watched it. Was it last year? No, that was in New Amsterdam Apartment. Was it? Yeah. Oh, man. That and was we didn't finish it. I had ago. to go do something. Oh, yeah. Mariah's dad was there, too. Yeah, that was the new Amsterdam apartment. Yeah. I liked I liked what I saw, and my, my buddy Andrew has said good things about the film. Wait, but you skipped Prince of Darkness. Uh, you're right. I did skip Prince of Darkness. So, uh, Carpenter has what's called the Apocalypse Trilogy, which started with The Thing, and then the second film was Prince of Darkness, which I, I want to say is like 87, um, 88, and then, uh, what was it, The Mouth of Madness? Yes. Is the third part to that trilogy. All of them, in, they, they all involve apocalyptic scenarios. Now, I was so hyped to watch Prince of Darkness, and 
pretty disappointed. Now, I watched it under a drug that sort of uh, didn't allow me to enjoy camp and made me hypercritical of all sorts of, I don't know, things in, in movies generally. And so it definitely played a role in me not enjoying it to my fullest. Also, I had like puked earlier that night, so I just had this constant taste of vomit in my mouth. Everything was off kilter after that. Yeah. <laughs> Everything it, changed with the Fire Nation attack. Yeah, well, DXM is a hell of a drug. And it's, I don't know, it's one I would love to watch again. It has some really cool parts in it. It also has some really silly shit. And it was one of those where, like, you could tell his budget was taken away. And not so much for the effects, but for the fucking acting in it mm. is like... C level at best and really was rough um but the score for it is fucking awesome the score is super good mm. so prince of darkness well we should do we Lest should do it we forget a trilogy where we start at the end with into the mouth of madness prince of darkness and the end of the thing because if we start with the thing everything's gonna be garbage afterwards yeah yeah, I like that idea. Yeah, and and but you know, by the end we're gonna be like, why don't we just watch only this? <laughs> so, yeah, that movie didn't do very well either. And then even another movie I've never heard of in 1998 called Vampires. Oh yeah, you never saw Vampires? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I want to though because it's got James Woods in it. Yeah, James who is Woods. the director of a gang of vampire hunters? Yeah. Which so the movie came out along with another vampire movie that year, and I begged my parents to let me see both, but they wouldn't take me to see what either. What vampire movie? It could have been, I think Blade might have come out that year, or 99, uh, but there was some other one that was like similar and whatever, and they wouldn't take me. They're like, this looks dumb, and it got bad reviews, and I was like, well, you're dumb. <laughs> and then it came out on HBO or something like that, and then I stayed up late to watch it a year or two later. And I don't remember a lot. Like, I only saw it that one time. But there's a scene where the vampire sticks his hand in this person and then, like, cuts them in half with his hand, like, in each of the killer. And it's of that same shitty quality of special effects. It was fucking awesome. It was super <laughs> violent and, like, totally ridiculous. And, uh, yeah, definitely that's, that's that another one. That sounds awesome. Yeah, we should totally watch that. James Woods, fucking cokehead galore. Just... I mean, the, well, that's the funny thing. So, okay, like I said, I've been... Well, I mentioned to you, I just picked up the the Kingdom Heart, the first Kingdom Hearts collection outside of 2.8. Mm. Because the new one's coming out, and I don't care what anybody says, I love those games. They changed something in me. They were the first RPG I really, truly, fully did. And uh, out of all of the act, they didn't get any original actors from any of the Disney films. But James Woods plays Hades in every fucking <laughs> game Six fucking games because James Woods is the goddamn man. Well, he probably is like, I'll take any money. My cocaine habit has totally destroyed my life, and I really, really, really need some money. Ooh, piece of candy. Yeah. Ooh, piece of candy. I, I don't care. I fucking love yeah, James the, Woods. The, the reason is not important. The yeah. fact is that he shows up and, and, and he does his best. I mean, what's the guy who voiced Aladdin doing now? Probably fucking nothing. Yeah, he's probably a nerd. But James Wood. He pulled a gun out of his, his stomach vagina, okay? Oh, God. Yeah. You haven't seen Videodrome, have you? No, we've just been talking about watching yeah, it. Yeah, because I've been listening to 7-H Target, and it's all Videodrome. Oh, yeah. That's what <laughs> Iron Man. I'm going to be there. Yeah. I'm going to be there. I want to watch it on that big-ass TV oh, with yeah. a good picture. Come, come to me. We have come to, to me. We have to eat a so, bunch of goopy like, food, so it, like, we it's just, just real weird. We should just Sour Patch Kids into a bowl, and I'll just put our hands in it. Yes. Hands. It's going to be so good. I don't know how I feel about that. Well, we can all have our own bowls. Okay. Yeah. 
Frank and I will share one. <laughs> so after all this, up comes uh, a movie that I fucking hate. I okay? saw this. I to wanted be to fair, see it so bad. What is it? What do you think I'm talking about? Ghosts of Mars? No, that's later. Oh. I'll get to my grips with the uh, Josh Ghosts of Mars. Terrible, terrible film. Mm. Anyway. I saw it. I wanted to see it so bad. To be fair, I got my first hand job at Sleepaway Camp <laughs> to this movie. Okay, okay. Halloween H2O. Oh. The movie's fucking garbage. <laughs> but it did have Jamie Lee Curtis in it, so the studio was like, hey, let's get the old gang back together. We'll get John Carpenter to direct. You know, they wanted to, you know, bring everything yeah. back to... They wanted to make a bunch of money. They wanted to make a bunch of money. Exactly. Let's, <laughs> let's, let's call it what it is. So John Carpenter agreed to direct the film. But his starting fee as a director was ten fucking million. So after like almost, yeah, I guess like a decade of flops, uh, I'm still like nothing less than ten, <laughs> nothing less than ten million. So Carpenter pretty much stated this by believing that the hefty fee was compensation for the revenue he never received from the original Halloween, which is true. Yeah. He really didn't make that much money off the original Halloween. Yeah, what, they turned 320000 into $64 million? Yeah, but they probably had a shitty contract to do yeah, it. Yeah, but, but back then, all horror movie directors ended up getting screwed. It was just the way it was. Happened with um, Romero and yeah. Cooper. They didn't take any of those things seriously. They just sold them as cash cows mm -hmm. or flops or, you know, but... So, uh, you know... And I'm sure he was like... Okay, I don't want to make this piece of shit, but I want to make $10 million, so if they'll pay me $10 yeah. million, I'll direct whatever garbage schlock they want. Yeah, yeah, but you know he would have changed that movie. He would have seen the script and thrown it the fuck out. Yeah. Like, I'm not directing this bullshit. So the producer on the movie was a man named Mustafa Akkad. Why do I know him? I don't know. I didn't really look too much into him. I feel like he's definitely done something that I, I know. Stop. Halloween H2O. <laughs> 20 years later. Oh. Yeah. Oh. I know. I feel What a sick. terrible, terrible title. What a terrible, terrible movie. Are, are you looking him up? Yeah. Mustafa. So Akkad totally laughed at Carpenter's fee. And Carpenter was like, fine, fuck you. I quit. And he did. And then Steve Miner assumed the directing of it, and the movie is garbage. And. I don't even. I didn't even look into uh, Steve Miner, but I hope he looks at that movie in horror and realizes that it was a terrible movie and it should not have been made. Humanity. And he's a terrible person for being a part of it. He produced Halloween Four and Halloween Five as well. Yeah. He he also produced Halloween Three. No. Oh uh, no, uh, Mustafa. Mm -hmm. No, yeah, yeah. Fuck that guy. Ruining Halloween. That's it? That's all he did? He also did The Message, Lion of the Desert, Appointment with Fear, Free Ride, and Halloween colon Resurrection, 2002. Yeah, all garbage. Yeah. Where's he from? Syria. Hmm. No comment. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> <sighs> so, uh... 1998, he did something a little different. He composed the soundtrack for a video game called Sentinel Returns. That was for PC and PlayStation. Huh. 
And then in the two thousands he like went into semi retirement. Two thousand one, Ghosts of Mars was released. There there doesn't need to be a synopsis for this. It's all in the fucking title. There's ghosts, there's Mars. Yeah. I There's a terrible <laughs> movie in between the two. So, okay, there's this dude I Ghosts There's this dude Mars. I used to do drugs with and like I me and a few of our friends showed up at his house to all smoke a blunt and he sat there, he's like, oh, I'm watching this movie, I really want to finish it, it's really good. And it was fucking Ghost of Mars, and the whole time I'm just like, why are we watching this? This is fucking garbage. What's even happening? None of this makes sense. It's like a shitty version of Doom. Okay, yes. Those things are all true. But I want to state, for the record, since we still do that from time to time, that the movie has Ice Cube. And Ice Cube is... is, You're right. It saves the whole movie. It's green screen dynamite, okay? First of all. And second of all, the trailer for the movie had D12's fight song. And this is when D12 were the tits. Oh, my God. Right after after Purple Pills came out. And so I was all about D12 because I I hadn't done pills yet, but I knew I wanted to. Yeah, I loved Purple Pills before I realized that song was about ecstasy. Yeah. Yep, that's him. And, uh... So it had fight song by D12 on it, and that song was awesome. And I like went with a bunch of my friends who I begged to stay for the whole movie because they were ready to walk out 20 minutes in. Movie was fucking garbage from the get go. I think I'm pretty sure Ice Cube's like a prisoner on some like prison colony on Mars, and then like ghosts get awakened, and they're like I have dreadlocks, and it's it's it's, 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 it's nutty. Natasha Henstridge. Yeah, looker. It is uh, trash of the highest order. I mean, everything about it is just like, what the fuck? I don't understand. Because I wrote Halloween in what, like a weekend? Yeah. And then he just shits out fucking Ghosts of (laughs) Mars. Jason Statham was in this movie. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That sounds right. I think J-Lo in it. J-Lo? I don't see any mention of J-Lo. Somehow it didn't ruin Ice Cube or Jason Statham's careers. I I think Jason Statham was too young and, and Ice Cube was... He's Ice Cube. He's he's the cube that never melts, you know? Oh, um, Clea Duval. That's it. That's the... Yeah. She was in The Faculty, another yeah. fine film. She's a, she's a great actress. I think that's a stretch. What? No, she's been a great shit. Okay. Uh, yeah, not a good movie, but I feel like if I still drank, I would definitely Girl, watch that. I mean, I'm sure it would be fun to watch and make fun of, yeah. but that movie is garbage. Yeah. I don't even know that it's worth it. It's like one of those. It's like a mystery science theater movie she waiting to happen. Yeah, oh exactly. Cleo Duval has a great discography. Set of tits. Oh, yeah. Discography? Shut up. Filmography. Filmography. She was in Girl Interrupted. She was in yeah, that movie's... Girl Interrupted is a great fucking movie. It's kind of trash, but... What do you feel? How do you feel about Girl Interrupted? Uh, too many girls. Too many interruptions. Too many <laughs> There's a lot of girls, a lot of interruptions. For a woman who spent a lot of time in psych wards. I mean, I can say it's really easy to masturbate to. Oh and I will also say that it's just not a movie for me. I really wanted to see it. Like, that was a movie I went... Trash. All right. If it's not just if it's just a movie for you, well, it's like the Notebook. It's not treasure. for me. Nicholas I actually Sparks, like the Notebook. Not notebook for me. It's a great film. It's a, no, it's not a great film, You're but a it bird, is. I'm a bird. I'm not a fucking bird, Flex. <laughs> it's just a good movie that if you want to get your lady feeling all drippy. Why didn't you write me? Wrote you every day. 365 letters. Yeah, and he's all like, and then he puts her down on those hardwood floors. Every girl's got a hardwood floor fetish from that movie alone. That's why I think there's hardwood floors in here. Yeah. Yeah. 
Thank you. And throw her down like a log. So many concussions. Break her leg. Flex has been to the hospital at least six times this month. Yeah, but she's drippy every time. <laughs> but she can't retain any short-term memory. And she gets violent for no reason. Worth it. What was the name of that wrestler who killed his family? Uh, oh, Chris Benoit. She's going to Chris Benoit you. Okay. For sure. If you suplex me when you do it, though, that would be the sickest way ever. No way, babe! <laughs> <laughs> So, in 2005, they started, like, this remake. They just started remaking all those movies in the, I guess, right now, mid-2000s for us. But, uh, they remade Precinct 13, and they remade The Fog. And it was, it was later produced by Carpenter himself. And, I, and once again, Carpenter being an asshole, which I love. He just, his involvement goes as such. I come in, say hello to everybody, go home. That's it. Cash the check. Cash the check. And then 2007, Rob Zombie produced and directed Halloween, a reimagining of Carpenter's 1978 film, which he fucking hates. <laughs> he thinks that movie is garbage. I read this whole interview about him just trashing Zombie. It was fucking great. Which I have to say is kind of shitty. Like, I mean, it's not that it's a good movie, but, I mean, Rob Zombie's like... Well, it's kind of shitty because... He allows all these remakes to happen, and he's just like, I don't care, fucking pay me. My movie's still going to stand the test of time. Well, that's But like, the thing is that people like the first Halloween Done My Rob Zombie. It's a pretty good movie. The gore is good. Uh, the, um, the acting is good in it. Like, I, I like that movie. It's, it doesn't hold a candle to the original, but it's if, if that came out alone, and I went into the theater and saw it without ever seeing any other, other Halloween, I'd be like... This is an amazing slasher movie, and it's a good slasher movie. Make reference to hip-hop. There is a great song by J. Cole called Let Nas Down, where, like, not, you know, Nas, obviously, like, J. Cole was inspired by him a lot, and someone did a review that was like, J. Cole's inspired by you, J. Cole's the new Nas, and Nas was like, fuck J. Cole, he sounds nothing like me, nobody can be me, blah, 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 and yeah, J. Nas J. Cole, yeah, bitch. wrote this whole song, which was really beautifully done, basically about, like, seriously, it's not about you, like, and it's... But that's really it, whereas Rob Zombie's trying to pay homage to him, and he's just like, fuck you, you well, can't beat Well, me. okay, here's the thing, though, right? He also made Halloween 2, yeah. okay? And that movie is weird. It's shit. I try to get through it. Uh, towards the end, there's a scene with a horse for no fucking reason, and I'm like, what's going on? Because <laughs> he's trying to show inside the mind of Michael Myers, and it's just fucking stupid. Yeah, but again, like, I don't know. I like Rob Zombie because he's mediocre in many ways. Like, he's a guy who wrote one really solid Rob Zombie record, and then he did several very solid White Zombie records. And after that has, like, never produced, as far as I'm concerned, anything that remotely gets close to that. Now, granted, like, I get that you want to expand yourself as an artist and you want to change and whatever... And you've got a legion of fans that are, like, into it. And honestly, I'm probably going to go see Rob Zombie again when he comes to Marilyn Manson because he puts on a good show. Mm. But he's, like, a lot of classic rock stars in the sense of, like, you get big, you get famous, you play the hits at your shows, and you make a bunch of new records that nobody really cares about, but there's, like, always those legions of devoted fans mm -hmm. that still buy enough of them to make you keep recording. But, <clears throat> I don't know, like, I don't think in many ways he's particularly original, and I wouldn't even call the Halloweens an homage. Like, they're just, like, straight up, I'm just going to redo your idea. But he does it from love, you know? Mm -hmm. Like like I said, the, the first one he made is good. The second one, I, I think he, like, really tried to make it his, 
and went in this direction that just made didn't work zero sense. Yeah. It didn't work for anyone. Nobody actually likes Halloween 2. Yeah, I'll have to see it, McMahon. I will watch both of them. And the first one's pretty good. Fucking, um, what's that big Mexican guy? Danny uh, Trejo. Danny Trejo's oh, in it. Oh, I love Danny Trejo. Um, Ian McKellen. I Ian McKellen? No, I mean, that uh, would be awesome. Ian McDowell. Malcolm McDowell. Malcolm McDowell. <laughs> oh, Prince like the scene. Plays movie. Dr. Lupus, and he does a... Loomis does a Dr. great Dr. job. Dr. Lupus? <laughs> you got me all I'm fucked Dr. up. I'm Dr. Lupus. <laughs> I'm a wolf boy. <laughs> oh, I was thinking more of the incurable. That's what I was thinking. The chronic disease. Blood disease. <laughs> lupus. Fuck, I've got lupus. <laughs> so, and I don't know if you've seen this, but there was Showtime's Masters of Horrors. He did. He did a. Uh, no, I don't do those horror anthology things. Some of well, there's good ones on there. He did one called Cigarette Burns, which is phenomenal. Really, really, really good. He did another one which I haven't seen called Pro Life, which is about a young girl who's raped and impregnated by a demon and wants to have an abortion, but her efforts are halted by her religious fanatic, gun-toting father and her three brothers. That just sounds depressing. That sounds very. Depressing. I know, but Cigarette Burns was really cool. Huh. Uh, then he did uh, a movie called The Ward. It was his first film since 2001, Ghost of Mars, his first full film. I haven't seen it. It's been on Netflix for a while. An old friend of mine said it was good. Uh, it came out in 2010. I haven't seen it. Maybe it's good. I don't know. I, I really can't comment on it. But something that I do enjoy, Carpenter narrated and consulted on and helped write the storyline for Fear 3, the video game. Which was fucking terrible and garbage. I had fun with it. What? Fear 3? Yeah. Did you play the first Fear? Yeah. I mean, it's definitely better, but I had fun with it. <sighs> I was smoking a lot of weed. I don't care, dude. I, I dropped acid and played Fear 2. I still didn't make it better. Well, I don't think acid would make a horror game better, but... Uh, wrong. It makes it terrifying. Playing Fear 1 in bullet time on acid, which I did while I blasted Gabber at ear-bleeding levels, was a hell of an experience. I'm sure it was. Bow, 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 bow! Is that when you ate the brains? No, that was when I sat in my bathtub with ramen floating around with me and was just like, eating out of the bathtub, crying hysterically and laughing real hard. <laughs> that was like... I dropped acid at 8 in the morning and was like, this is going to be great. And then by 12, I was like, I've lost my mind. I am, I need help. Turned to some dark people that day. It was a dark time. Yeah. Dark time. Yeah. Like John Carpenter's Ghost of Mars. <laughs> Much like that movie. It's a dark, it was dark a flop. time. But. So then in. She's just watching Frasier over there. I'm not. I'm sorry. I'm reading the lyrics to Let Nas Down because I love that Stop song it. so much. We're trying to I'm make sorry. content I'm here. Sorry. I'm sorry. I'm paying attention. This is part of why the listeners love me. You know? Because it's like, what's she doing? I don't over know. There? Frank I and I have been doing. getting all the texts about the good jokes. Mm. I just get suicide texts for Alexa. Yeah. 250A. A. Tell her to kill herself. Tell her to kill herself. Live stream. Live stream. Live stream, make her naked. That would be red room. We red get listeners. Room. Maybe that's how we nice. after we get famous, and we red that's room how Alexa? we yeah we red room Alexa. That's how we end it all. What does that mean? We'll do we'll do a uh, we'll do a deep web episode at some point. Does that mean kill me? No, no, not exactly. 
does that mean? So, October 10th, 2010, Carpenter receives a Lifetime Award from the Freak Show Horror Film Film. Oh, I... <laughs> 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 Woo! Words. It's a lot of words. Freak Show Horror Film Festival. Okay. And then Does something... Does that mean anything? I don't know. And Did then they show up? there was test footage from the set of Dark Child, which emerged in July 2010, which I don't know. I guess he was direct. He was stayed directed on October 31st, 2010, but I couldn't find anything actually about it. And then he uh, he stopped making movies, and that leads us on to his musical career. Yeah. So John Carpenter. So just to go back, I'd like to before we talk about the music. Why don't we talk about the movies? What, what's so Ben? You you would say Halloween maybe tied with the thing, and then what would be your next pick? My next pick. I love me Big Trouble in Little China, man. Okay. As far as like the horror stuff, like his act, like the more actiony stuff, like if if it came down to action, pick between three, Big Trouble, pick three Carpenter films you can't live without. Those three. No. Escape from New York. Escape from New York would be my number one, though I've only ever seen three. I liked it better than The Thing. But I, I like Campy a lot. Campy goes to my core. Yeah. Yeah, I guess we probably have the same top three, just a different order. I think The Thing is indisputably the best. And then Escape from New York, I probably like more than Halloween. Like, I've just seen Escape from New York 20 times at least. Really enjoy that movie. Really? Halloween's on the bottom of your list? Yeah, I mean, I love Halloween, and I love slashers, <laughs> but I'd pick a giallo over Halloween any day just for my own personal taste. Something about movies like Torso really gets my dick hard, so. <laughs> it really does, though. Bodies bear traces of carnal violence. So we should just, when we're rich off the podcast, we should just uh, make a giallo called The Fistening. And it's a killer who fists you to death. That's a great idea. Yeah, his he wears leather gloves with razors on each knuckle. Oh, yeah, like short, stubby box cutter type razors. Alexa will be the lead that whose tits you get to see. No, what? you could be our Adrian Barbeau. Yeah, I thought you were about free the nipple. I thought you were about women's rights. Yeah, okay. come on. I'm not even gonna get into this with you guys because you're getting my goat, and I see what you're doing there. Listen, you know what? Fuck! One day when we have a lot of listeners, they're going to want to know what your boobies look like. Yeah. Frank and I are going to show them our genitals. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to show them. want to know what your genitals look like. Oh, you say that, Nobody but... Nobody wants to see dicks. Guys think that people want to see their dicks. Nobody wants to you see wanna their You want to see dicks. my dick. I do not. I don't want a dick pic. Never wanted one. That's not but true. Swear to God. No, that's not true. You haven't said that to me. I've seen him send I've dick never... pics, and you say thank you. He's never sent me a dick pic. You said you wanted me to. I was probably just being polite because we were first dating. This was like yesterday. Wow. That was not yesterday. I don't want a dick pic. Never wanted a dick pic. Why would I want to see your dick? Because it rules. It does nothing for me. Uh, it does a lot for you. No. I like, mean, it gives you orgasms? Physically, in the physical, it doesn't matter. Continue with the music. <sighs> so anyway, uh, yeah. So John Carpenter's music for his own films is I think part of what makes them all so magical. Um, he has a very specific style, and I mentioned before, he worked with a, another composer named Alan Hoarth, and they worked together to really create memorable cues, theme songs, backing pieces, the whole, like everything. Um, everything from the 30 second little tidbits to their 
five minute tracks are great. I think of all the scores he's done, the Halloween theme might be the most famous, but easily the the score from Escape from New York is the best. As a, as a individual piece of music, I own it on CD, I own it on LP, um, I would buy it again on cassette. It is it is to die for. The synth tones in it are so good. And there's this one track from a deleted scene called Bank Robbery. It has like this funky guitar and all the rest. It throws cowbells and some stuff. <laughs> Fucking love cowbell. Yeah, I no, it's the... it's really a fantastic score. And um, Halloween 3 most closely resembles the style of that and is probably my second favorite score by him. But he also did scores for other movies that he didn't direct. He did the score for Christine, which has a couple really fantastic themes in it. I love Christine. Um, and there's other movies that aren't coming to mind. He did The Fog. Um, you know, he, he's scored almost every movie he directed. And, the, oh, we didn't talk about They Live either. You skipped that. Oh, oh, that's right. Which is another uh, fantastic 80s Carpenter film. That Which was is pretty much last. all about the Reagan era. Right, yeah, it's an anti-capitalist uh, consumer thing. And I did read an article today that was basically neo-Nazis are claiming now that They Live was actually about, uh, like it was an anti-Zog movie, and yeah. it was about how uh, the Jews like run the world and not whatever, and Carpenter's like, well, I could see how they could get that impression, I suppose, but that's obviously... <laughs> Not it. And uh, I thought it was interesting just specifically because there's a, uh, I wouldn't say he's a neo-Nazi artist, but he's anti-Semitic. And um, he uses a clip from that movie in the beginning of one of his songs. And I was like, huh, that makes sense. But um, his his scores are great. And uh, they, they got less great as his movies got less great, at least to my taste, because they were less synth-heavy. They incorporated more traditional instruments, which is boring. Um, but he ended his directing career and picked up a music career, and he's in a band under his own name um, with his son and his godson, his son being the son he had with Adrian Barbeau, Cody Carpenter, who was born May 7th, 1984, and his godson, Daniel Davies. And they've done a few albums. They've done Lost Themes on Sacred Bones, Lost Themes Remixed, uh, which I believe were 2010, and then Lost Themes 2, which was 2011. Maybe it was even 12. I might be a couple of years off, so I apologize for that. Uh, and then his most recent was Anthology Movie Themes, 1974 to 1998, which was a re-recording of classic themes he'd done for his own movies and other movies. Um, and he actually toured last year couple weeks after we saw Goblin, he played in Philly, and I was very interested to go because he was doing a similar uh, style of show where they had clips from the movies that would play while they did the scores and whatever, the theme songs and stuff. But we had spent so much money on shows, I just had to scratch one of them and that was it. And it was like 30 bucks. He'll probably be back around next year, and that's what we'll do for next Halloween. Yeah. So, um, you know... There's not a lot to say. His music is... He's got drums and guitar now and all the rest. It fleshes out the sound and it makes the songs go beyond a theme song. But as somebody who loves minimal electronic music, it doesn't really improve much to me. And the albums of original music are are good, but I, I honestly don't even own any of them because I've listened to tracks here and there. And it's like, I could probably enjoy it a lot, 
but I'd rather listen to the scores, you know? And I know that that sucks to be an artist like him and say, like, well, I've got new stuff, and everybody's like, we just want to hear the old stuff. I get how that can be frustrating, but I also don't care about the anthology thing either. Like, I don't want to hear re-recorded versions. Like, the way I know them is the perfect way, you know? And you can flesh it out all you want. Like, you don't need to. The theme song for fucking Escape from New York rules. Yeah. Like, the theme song for Halloween, perfect. Yeah, it's how are you going to improve on that? An arpeggio synth line, you know? And um, so it is, if you're into bands like Zombie or... Uh, what is it? I think not Umberto Lindsay, but something Umberto. I think it's just Umberto, uh, and all these other sort of synth wave, you know, throwback '80s bands. Like, if you want to hear a real guy who really wrote it in the first place, like, yeah, definitely check it out. You know, I would I would recommend it in that way. It's not what I need necessarily um, in terms of my record collection. But, you know, it's also one of those things where I might listen to one of these albums a couple years down the line and think, like, where the fuck was I? Why wasn't I paying attention? This is great. It's certainly not bad. It just hasn't connected with me yet. So there's not a lot to say because this is, like, the latest and newest chapter in his life. But they tour. They supposedly put on a pretty great show. And, you know... Um, I'd love to see how it stacks up against, like, <coughs> when we saw Fabio Frizzi and, and Goblin because those shows were incredible. Yeah, I bet that they would be equally good. I mean, I honestly like Carpenter's scores more than any other composer. He's probably my favorite composer when he's at his best. I really, really dig what he does. Um, but that being said, I think in terms of translating to a stage performance, Goblin is a better bet because like Goblin wrote songs that they just used sections of in Argento's movies they weren't scored in the way that like he scored for specific scenes like they're playing the scene and then he's like making the music for it Goblin just like wrote songs in Argento used them wherever the hell he wanted yeah. you know what I mean and so they were like pieces of longer prog rock songs with a full band in the first place so they lend themselves to a full performance just in the same way that Fabio Frizzi had like you know a full band and was playing this like proggy psychedelic score music that was equally chopped up for uh, Fulci's films. And whereas like Carpenter, you know, I get, I get from the anthology perspective, his latest tour, like let's turn three minute songs into full songs with like a fuller band. That makes sense. And we'll probably make it better live, but like still on album, who cares? Yeah. Yeah. This is a very, Informative episode. I no, feel like I, an asshole because I, I forgot they live, and I had a section I must have deleted it by accident. Yeah. Because it's funny because that line and they live. I came here to do two things: chew bubblegum and kick ass. I'm all out of bubblegum. He didn't write that. Really? Yep. Did Roddy Roddy Piper just like ad lib it or what? I don't remember honestly. It was in my notes and I lost it. Yeah. Well, it's famous for me because that line is reused in Duke Nukem 3D, which was like a seminal childhood experience for yeah, me. Yeah, it was. And so when I finally saw the movie 15 years down the line, I was like, eh. but uh, yeah, I mean, Carpenter for me is definitely one of my favorite directors. Like even when he's not at his best um, in the eighties and earlier films, he's still an enjoyable watch with a very unique vision for most of his stuff. And I think so much of what makes him suck in the nineties is he like, he loses a lot of like the vision. Like you still have the Carpenter tropes, but they're tropes without, without a, dream you know well, it's the 90s a, yeah, a lot, lot of, of horror genre <laughs> genre 
suffered in the nineties. Yeah, it was I a, mean, it was a it was a terrible time. Yeah, them. you know, outside of um, outside of West, West Craven oh. doing uh, <laughs> doing Scream, a movie which I love. Yeah, no, it's which a good was movie. you know just shitting on what had become a stagnant exactly dung heap. Yeah, and God rest his soul. Yeah, maybe we'll do an episode on him one day. But he, John Carpenter, is and always will be one of the horror movie directing greats. And he's American. We can claim him as our own, yeah, which him, we don't have a lot of. Wes Craven, Romero. Although Romero was kind of a one-trick pony. Yeah. For the most part. And so was what's his face. The other guy. Who? Did uh, did the movies? Oh, the guy that did all the movies. The one who did Evil Dead. Ramy? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't. I lost faith in that man a long time ago. <laughs> My faith died. I mean, they, Drag Me to Hell is an okay movie. I, I like Drag Me to Hell. But it's, it's like, the CG in that movie. I saw a gif of the part where the, like, where the ghost lady gets, like, hit in the head and her eyeballs come flying out of her head. And just seeing that in gif form and the CG in that just made me want to shit my pants and then rub it all <laughs> over myself just because that was the only way I'd feel clean again. I yeah. like that movie. I, I stand by it. I saw it. I saw it. My parents, it came out when I was in Japan and my parents and I were Skyping and they were like, you should see this movie. They didn't see it, but they were like, it sounds like it's so up your alley. And like that night, somebody's like, oh, I just torn in this movie. We got to watch it. And it was like a shitty, it was, it wasn't like somebody sitting in the theater. It was just a bad uh, digital version of it where it was like a low bit rate. And when you when you do that on movies like that, and you make them a lower bit rate, like the CGI becomes so unbearably. Yeah. I remember being like in physical pain watching it, and the only reason I stayed was because I had no money and no alcohol, and the person I was hanging out with had booze, and I was like, "It's worth it." It's I got. I'm, I'm a sucker for Justin Long. At the end of the day, I don't know who that is. Uh, I mean, I, I love Justin Long. I feel like we lost horror greatness as far as continual directors in the modern age because I what about uh well Guillermo Guillermo is a little different because this is more dark fantasy it's not straight horror yeah but like Eli Roth I Mm. fucking hate I hate (laughs) Eli Roth movies Cabin Fever is garbage Cabin Fever is kind of fun Hostel is garbage okay Eh, God and Piranha Um, the closest that we have nowadays is is James Wan Oh, I don't like only the conjuring is good to me. The rest of those movies are I disagree. I I, I like Dead Silence. I like Saw. The original oh, okay. Saw. The original Saw is pretty Saw rad, is really. Yeah, good. he almost the redefined the, the torture porn genre and then Eli Roth was like, "I'm going to make Hostile and then of course it just went back downhill. I love I loved um I love The Conjuring. Now the second one was Shitty. I did not like that one at all. Uh, I I love um, shit. What's the other one? We watched it on Halloween. I don't yeah, know if you were there. Insidious. Insidious. I love that movie. Yeah, I did not like that. Well, you're that's stupid. the one where like the guy, the boy's body gets haunted. Yes, I liked that one. That one's okay. pretty good. And I had to leave halfway through it. The man can't it. make good sequels. That's that's the thing. Well, most horror movies can't have good sequels. Yeah. And now it's not like they made The Shining 2 Electric Boogaloo, though I would watch that. <laughs> like, if they got Jack Nicholson to reprise his role and just be, like, whacked out, I might go see it. But I, I don't disagree. I think that 
we don't really have anybody to point to. I mean, except for, you know who I would say? Although they're not really horror directors, but it is the Helen Catet and her boyfriend, husband, whatever, the, the Belgian couple who did uh, Strange Color of Your Body's Tears in a Mare. I haven't they're, seen they're what the bodies can. Yeah, no, I know. They are, but they're more slasher thriller. But, like, they directed two of the finest like films, like they they basically shit because I'm trying to think what are the good horror films. So we've got It Follows, which has no f- follow up. Yeah, and he's <laughs> it was his only horror movie he's ever done. Yeah, and hopefully, honestly, like leave it alone. Just, yeah, yeah, just, yeah. Just, yeah. Just, I mean, it was really good, but whatever. And then Oculus, but like, there's no director who's movie. operating consistently yeah. well, in the field. The guy who did It is also doing the tele the TV series for Lock and Key. Oh yeah, you did tell so me. So I'm I'm like hopeful. both hopeful and a little bit scared. Yeah, I and then what, what's the other? There's the guy who did all those shitty movies, The Innkeepers and The Devil's something. The one about the babysitter who comes over and there's like the satanic house, uh, The Devil's House, The Devil's de- Devil House. No, de- I de- he also he also did a movie which I hate, which apparently people love, which is um, We Are Still Here. He also wrote Until Dawn. Yeah. No, I know that, but, like, all those movies fucking suck. And people yeah. think they're great, and they're not great. They're the opposite of great. They suck. Okay, I'm not even going to say it. What? I fucking love The Purge. And I oh, I've s- never seen it. I, like, it's, I don't know who directed them, and each one gets, like, a little bit uh, more intense, and, and <laughs> what are your feelings on this? I, I... Love it. I love the I love the premise. I love the campiness. I love the insanity. I fucking could watch. I'm gonna I'm gonna bring it back to um to the the subway sandwich metaphor. <laughs> like if you got nothing else, pretty good. But you know if you had a decision, I'm not saying great horror, but like. Man, I really like it. I like the second one better than the first one. Like, but you, as you said, I think you you prefer a level of camp. I do. I do. To, to, I think most genres. And for me, I'm definitely like on the art film end of everything. Yeah. Like the more obscure and obtuse you can make it, the more I'm into yeah. it. Really, well, which is why I love like a mare and strange color right. of your body's tears. There's it's like looking at a riddle with no answer, and it's like some dude with an annoying mustache on the other <laughs> end who's like, "Fuck you, I do what I want." And then razors. <laughs> but I, I appreciate it because yeah. they have like such a. It's not. It's not like Eli Roth level of like ugh. It's there's there's definitely like a high mindedness to it, but and it's up its own ass a little bit. But like sometimes you have to do that. There is one Eli. Eli Roth movie I like, and he had nothing to do with it other than being in it, which was Inglorious Bastards. Oh. But there are, like, the Vicious Brothers, I really, which I still haven't sheen, uh, shown you, but they did, they did um, Grave Encounters 1 and 2, and then they did an Alien movie, which was pretty meh. Uh, and then there's the Dowdle Brothers, who did the Poughkeepsie tapes, and they also did uh, As, As Above, Above so, so Below. Which I really like. And yeah, I love I both like, of those movies. I yeah. like As Above. So I, I, so. The Poughkeepsie tapes, I don't like as much as you guys, but I will say that was like... I like the Poughkeepsie I like what they did with the genre of found footage films, and, you know, it's one of those that could it have been done better, sure, but it was also... You can also it's do, not offensive. You like, can do found footage wrong. Yeah, that's true. So and I, I think of... I, and so cheap. I've yeah. seen a lot of them. Yeah, well, I was going to say, I, I happily haven't, so I'm probably spoiled in the sense of I can bitch about a movie that's pretty good when there's like a, just tons of Talk garbage Talk about versions. you, Cloverfield. Back up off of Cloverfield. <laughs> I like Cloverfield. Back up off of Cloverfield. Made me want to puke. 
The movie rules. Anyway, all three of them are pretty good, except the ending of the second one. I'm not going to go there. Uh, one last thing before I get to my best buys. Um, there was a horror... I can't remember the name of the movie. There's a found footage movie that I saw recently. And I feel like Grave Encounters kind of pushed this buck of truly showing the monster on film. It's really good. Grave Encounters is essentially... Uh, making fun of ghost hunting shows, and they happen to stumble upon actual ghosts. I, I'll, I'll show it to you. It's I really enjoy the movie. I think they took some chances and did some things that really hadn't been done super well in found footage movies. But this movie that Mariah and I watched was about these two you know, indie horror filmmakers, which you know some of these things uh, get turned out never. about. Yeah, uh, and they they're they're like. Let's, let's find some real monsters. They put out a casting call on Craigslist to find real monsters, and they find a vampire lady who's a tattoo artist who only works at night, and they find a, uh, what do they call him, Skinwalker, who's a Native American police officer on a reservation, and uh, a, a Japanese girl who's possessed by a demon, and it's just, it sounds it was, terrible. It was awful. But there is hope for the found footage genre because if you've not seen them, I adore them because it's they're a little bit comedy. I don't have my phone on me, so I can't remember the director's name. But uh, one of the guys is like actually done like a lot of like funny movies and TV shows and stuff. But Creep One and Two, the third one, I think they're either filming now. Have you seen them? No, I I have to say the more I've heard about those movies, the less <laughs> I want to see them. I love it. It's weird. You'd like it. It's when weird. I, it's campy. Yeah. Yeah. It's essentially about a serial killer. Who invites people like he invites this guy over and he's like I'm dying and it, it's good it's good I like it yeah I, I think like, like it. you'd like it yeah. they're both on Netflix yeah but anyway well, I'm waiting for her to, Hereditary to come out that movie looks bananas you will love that yeah Almost no, on par it's with out the I thought we said we already nope. checked it's out nope it is no it's not okay it's coming out over the summer I rechecked it after that we okay. were both wrong. Well, it's I, I showed it a film film festival already. Yeah, so it's out. But I do want to say, <laughs> <laughs> can we watch it? Yeah. No, we can't. But I, You're a liar. I no, I'm saying we can in the future. I do want to say though that while we're just on the topic of naming random recent horror films, that I still think about Raw or Grave as um, it's known elsewhere, and that movie has that movie like good. I want to rewatch it because I really liked it when we watched it, although it still has elements of. The ending is super French. It is. Yeah. As far as French horror movies go, it's, it's the most the French. Frenchest. Yeah. It's and that that. And to be honest, it's probably the only French horror movie I enjoy. Well, I don't know. I only is saw Martyrs, Martyrs French. Yeah, I yeah. only saw Martyrs once, and I was super high. But like, I kind of enjoyed it. It was like so outrageous. It was like hostile times infinity, but to a point where it like becomes a new art form of like, well, it's the new French wave and. But also, I hate France so much. So <laughs> and they're really about the rape revenge flick, and I'm not into it. Yeah, yeah, and well, and also just like, it's like antiseptic style gore, you know. And it's in the same it's it's the same issue that most modern horror has, where they cheap out on shit. Void is another good one. That's a good. Void is a fantastic movie. But but like so many of those movies, you know, even when it's supposed to be the super gory stuff, they use all this like stupid fucking lighting and filters and saturation. And you never feel like you're watching the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which doesn't even really have gore, but 
like has grit that like comes out of the screen and makes you need to vacuum near your TV and shit. Like those movies have it for fucking real. You watch Maniac and you could smell the sweat. Like oh my god, Frank fucking Zeno. Just gross. I just love that Shook our John Carpenter episode has just gone into like most modern day horror movies suck except these ones. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, no, it is. It's it is true, but I just I it also it, creates this thing nowadays where a mo- when a modern horror movie is good, it's truly good. Well, it, and it's also truly hyped. It's like oh, the best modern horror movie since blah, and I'm always like, well. Yeah, yeah, but, but those also, are never the good ones. Yeah, well, no, I know, but I mean, like they said that about it follows because it was true. It was like a great modern horror film. That's true. You know? Which inspired heavily by Carpenter and The Void, Into the Mouth of Madness, and The Thing. If those weren't made, would they have made another Lovecraftian type film? Who yeah. knows? Yeah, well, yeah, because Lovecraft has. You want to talk about somebody who stood the test of time? Yeah, but it, the very few good films come no, out. No, I know, but I mean that movie is like. It's assault on precinct thirteen meets the thing, you know, in a lot of ways, yeah. and also a couple other. But like, yeah, I mean, if it wasn't for the thing, that movie wouldn't exist. That movie is like just the thing, kind of, in a lot of ways. Yeah. So, uh, Best Buy, Best Buy is something that my co-host Flex Lexa got me oh. for Christmas. What is it? The thing. Pocket pussy. Also a pocket pussy, but oh, uh, this is such a good. This is such a good way, way, way to tie it in. Yeah. <laughs> the thing, way to tie Infection it in. at Outpost 31, which is a board game, which is incredible. And really, the gameplay really does capture the feeling of the movie. So the way the game works is the beginning of the game, everyone gets passed out infection cards. And everyone looks at them. And you're either an infected or you're not. And it's kind of random. Like, how many are in the first one? I can't remember the exact number of infection cards. But the way you play the game is uh, each round there's a a leader, let's say, and they get they get the gun. I'm the man with the gun. I make the rules, which is actually in the rule book, which is uh, the rule book. It's the whole game is beautiful. Yeah. Anyway, they, ca- they capture. It. Yeah. yeah. And you know each each person gets a character card that has their own special attributes and everything. So essentially, what you have to do is you have three sections and. You have to, in each section, you have to do certain tasks. You have to kill the thing, and you have to find samples, stuff like that. And just like in a lot of Betrayer games, there's an element of someone trying to fuck you up. So there's cards, like, so to beat a room, you'll pull a card that'll say, you need these things to deal with this thing. So it'll be like, you need three Petri dishes to figure out who's infected. So, <laughs> what, what'll happen is, you know, they're all given to you face down, so you'll flip them, and you're like, oh, fuck, somebody fucked us on this one. And it, it's... So basically, it, the infected have a chance to, like, skew what happens. Exactly. You off the scent. And you can't do too much to make yourself yeah. Exactly. And then, but, as you transfer, so you transfer from the first room, then more infection cards get dealt out. And there Ooh. might be a new infected, there might not be. Yeah. So this happens twice, so there could be a crazy amount of infected by the end. And one of my favorite aspects of the game is something that happened during gameplay. Unfortunately, we broke it, uh, but... <laughs> so... <laughs> so, you can... There's, like, items that you can get throughout it. Uh, one of them is rope, so you can tie somebody up and leave them behind. And one of them is a flamethrower. 
and the flamethrower, you can choose to decide to murder somebody with it. And it, it has to be a unanimous vote. So everyone, you know, thumbs up, thumbs down. So Jeremiah has us all convinced that Tom is infected. <laughs> Tom goes, no, nah, I saw this card, though. It's definitely Jeremiah. So we immediately murder Jeremiah. <laughs> Completely broke the game. But the thing I find super interesting about the game, which I haven't really ran into in other Betrayer games, is, so, last thing that happens, very last thing that happens, is you have to, like, last round, the leader chip gets passed to a new person, and they <coughs> decide who gets to go on the helicopter to leave, okay? And if there's even one infected, yeah, the whole game's fucked. over. So, it could be that all the people left who aren't dead are all infected. Yeah. So there's a chance that you have absolutely no way of winning the game. That's awesome. And it's, yeah. it's, the miniatures for it are really good. All the characters from the movie are beautiful little miniatures. They have all their little character cards. It's a really well-made game. You guys should come over and play it. Yeah. It's, it's a lot of fun. It's, it plays up to eight people, but it's a little too chaotic with eight people. Yeah. Because it's really hard to keep everyone's attention unless everyone's truly a hardcore gamer. Yeah, yeah well, that's the truth with any game. Yeah. That requires but I, more I, than five turns. I feel as though playing with four people would be pretty perfect. Yeah. Well, I, I do want to say, uh, A, that I want to play it, and I just want to mention along with the gaming route, speaking of games based on cool shit, um, Jared just told me he got the Dark Souls board game and said it is fucking phenomenal. I think it only plays up to four, but I told him that he should come here so that we can play it mm -hmm. because I want to do that. Uh, I, well, not to get too nerdy, but it, I, I'm i assuming it's kind of like a dungeon crawl. Yeah, I think a little where bit. Where he's like the game master. It's a lot like uh, Descent, which I don't think you've played. It's essentially D&D. &D. Like a dungeon crawl is essentially D&D &D where you have somebody who sets up the map and they choose what monsters go out and you have to try to fight your way through it. The first time that I played Descent at Nitty's house, uh -huh. uh, Ryan, what Ryan K was the dungeon master, and he immediately threw like four fucking dragons at <laughs> us. And I'm like, dude, what are you doing? Like we're trying to have fun here. He's like, I'm going to destroy all. Of you. <laughs> it was pretty good, but guys, play board games. They're fun. They yeah. make you hate your friends. Yeah, yeah, that's great. I'm I'm glad you're enjoying it, and I, love I would it. love to play it. That's dope. This was a fucking great episode. Yeah, we yeah, did we'll good. see when I edit it. What? But... No, I really liked it. I mean, I don't know anything about John Carpenter's movies other than the ones that I've seen, but I don't know much about his backstory, so Ben, I think you did a terrific job. Thank you, I worked there. super hard, except I'm still truly embarrassed that I skipped They Live, but mm. fine, whatever. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm just asshole. wondering if there's anything else we missed from the 80s. I'm sure our seven listeners will tell us. Yeah. No, not, not, not that I can find. Live. I mean, I did have the part in They Live about it. Anyway, this is the end of the podcast, guys. Well, yeah. you missed They Live and you missed uh, the other one. Prince of Darkness. Well, that movie was Garbo anyway. That's, that's not, it's not it's Garbo. Not it's not the point. It's about you completion. You failed. Yeah, Get I buy fucking giant hands off me. <laughs> Drop God's RS. thought you were going to stand up for my honor there. Chose not to. Okay, so... Like your lips and looking at me. And uh, I think that wraps it up for this week. Later, Later nerds. nerds.